Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Tonight, we're going to be talking. Um, we're going to do a, a quantum drift, um, which is a little different from our regular plot drift because we're going to be focusing on the fixed element um, in reference to the quantum bang. And our um, topic for the evening is Homeland Security arrests Michael Rivkin. And Michael Rivkin is a character in NCIS um, who was Mossad. Um, and Tony Dinozo ends up killing him in self-defense. So um, and that takes him down a very ugly path in canon. So we're going to talk about that. And um, so the podcast, so the drift is... Homeland Security arrests Michael Rivkin. Now, Michael Rivkin is guilty in canon of murdering an ICE agent. And a lot of other people. Yeah, and a lot of other people. But the ICE agent specifically, um, the people he was, I think the people he was killing, I haven't seen that episode arc because it pissed me off, um, but the one time. Um, I believe um, he was killing the people, uh, terrorists, basically. But he was doing it on an unsanctioned. It was an unsanctioned. The U.S. certainly wasn't authorizing Mossad to come in and kill a bunch of people on American soil. So he had been warned to leave the country, get you know, get out. And instead, he went back to D.C. and got drunk at Ziva's place um, and hung out. Uh, if anybody hasn't seen these episodes and you're interested, the bits where he kills the agent. Um, so we could look up the uh, the name. It was the backdoor pilot for NCIS LA um, is when Rivkin gets introduced. It's when he's doing his killing and stuff. Uh, I can't remember what the name of that two episode arc was that kicked off NCIS LA. Um, and then the last two episodes of season six, as I recall, are the episodes the last two where michael dies in the episode before the last and in the last episode they go to they take tony to israel so i think for me the fix it angle for the reason why i would approach getting rivkin arrested is to prevent those well a to bring in some consequences and some realistic consequences for uh what Ziva was doing, because that's when they discovered Ziva's espionage as well, and um, bring in some whole realistic consequences to every, what everybody was doing that was so wrong in that at that time period, and also prevent that whole shit show where Tony got hauled off to to Israel. Um, to be, it just doesn't make sense. It, I mean. The writers were just pulling that out of their ass. We, that's not the way the U.S. works. Ever. And that kind of thing happened, the State Department would be all over it. Mm-hmm. All up in it. And even if even if Mossad was angry about one of their operatives being killed, there were, there were a lot of things that didn't make sense. Because, like, even if Mossad was angry about that, which, okay, so so they pitch a fit, why would anybody care? Because Rifkin killed multiple people, including a federal agent, on U.S. soil. He was warned to leave rather than getting arrested. They should have arrested his dumb butt the first time they encountered him. But instead, they just warned him to go. Gibbs just sort of... And Ziva lied about knowing him. So instead of arresting him, instead of you know, doing anything realistic, 
when Mossad got angry, Seknav and, and Vance and Gibbs are like, well, Dano's going to have to take one for the team. Well, why? Why? Why does, well, how does that make any kind of sense that, that Tony would have to, to account for anything? And that, you know, Rifkin had killed multiple people. That he, you know, He'd murdered people. He and, and and the ICE agent he killed was in order to him to be able to spy on the heads of um, several federal agencies. Seknav, the head of the CIA, I think uh, they had multiple agency heads there with Seknav playing poker, I think, if I recall. Um, so he could spy on their conversation, and yet when Rifkin winds up dead and Mossad decides to pitch a fit about it, they all act like somebody other than Rivkin had done something wrong. And it just, it, it, that doesn't gel. That just doesn't gel at all. Um, it's it a really make, dumb plot point. It really is, because it doesn't make any sense, given that setup, that Seknav would just basically give it up for, for, for Israel at that point in time. And especially not the head of their intelligence agency. It wasn't like it was the prime minister calling and being angry. It was it was the head of Mossad, who who was the one who was in the wrong. So it just it makes you conclude. It's so nonsensical that the con- only conclusion you can draw is that there's corruption, that Eli has something on Vance and even potentially Seknav. Um to make that happen. So if you're looking for, there's a few different approaches you could take for a fix it angle around that, which is you could inject some realistic, you know, you could have Tony say, I'm not going to Israel. You could have all these different points in that process where you could interject some realism, um, have Tony get some outside help, goes to the FBI and say, hey, I don't think I should have to go to Israel to account for killing this guy who killed an ICE agent or call Tom Morrow and say, hey, Tom, they want to send me to Israel to be interrogated by Mossad because I killed this guy who killed one of your agents. What do you think about that? But I like really backing it up to before Rivkin's even dead and letting Rivkin get arrested. I like that a lot. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun because it expo because it has the potential to expose a whole bunch of things, and um, keeps Tony from getting injured. It keeps Tony from going to Israel. Um, the question becomes: Is how does Homeland Security find out about Rivkin? And I think that I mean technically the investigation. This was another thing that didn't make sense. Technically, the investigation was the purview of the FBI. Um, A murdered federal agent is the FBI's purview, so it should have been their case. Uh, But Homeland could have, you could do a couple things. You could have Homeland paying closer attention. Homeland could get more assertive. You could go way back, like have Homeland get really assertive with the FBI about Fornell letting Gibbs run so much of the investigation. And like, oh, hell no. You guys are supposed to be running this. And maybe you have, you could, it could be Tom Morrow. It could be like anybody at Homeland who you could do an OC director who says, look, you think that we don't know about, you know, Vance's ties to Eli David? No, you guys are not investigating this case. That's not mm-hmm. how that's going to work. <laughs> so 
they could put Homeland could put pressure on the FBI to not let NCIS run with so much of the investigation. And and then it's just completely out of their hands. The FBI is the one who cracks. And that could actually, if the FBI are the one who cracked that uh, laptop, um, or is it the hard drive? The hard drive uh, that points back to Ziva's place, which is how Tony wound up going. If That whole thing would play out really differently if Tony wasn't the one going. What if the FBI no, went? No, because he saved her ass. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> he really did. But what if the FBI are the ones who cracked that that information and Homeland sent agents with them to help arrest Rifkin? Maybe they took it really personally. Well, they would. Of course they would. And they, that's, that's just nature, right? Is what... And when something happens to, the, to, to those that are part of you know, our immediate community, we do take it very personally. So it goes beyond you know, getting the job done. It's like, we're going to see justice done. I don't care what your political agendas are. And I think more than anybody in that situation, Homeland Security would not care about NCIS or the FBI's political agendas. Agreed. Agreed. Because it was their agent that got killed. Some poor schmo who who got bodyguard duty that night, you know, bad luck of the draw, winds up getting killed on a cakewalk assignment because Mossad can't mind their own business. What if it's not some poor schmo? What if he gets arrested right then by the ICE agent he tries to kill? That's an interesting idea. Oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting idea too, as well, Ellie. Is that what if the um, ICE agent that he kills is actually um, the son of somebody or the grandson of somebody um, really high up in the political chain? I like that idea. I think that could be really impactful. Um, it would really change things if somebody with clout was pushing at the FBI because it wouldn't then just be Homeland pushing at the FBI. It would be, you know, a Senator or a Congressman or somebody of that nature pushing at the FBI going, why aren't you running this investigation? Why aren't you running this investigation? Um, And actually if the FBI has shown a tendency to let NCIS investigate, even though it's not their, their jurisdiction, um, they could, maybe lobby for Homeland to take over the case. So obviously, you can't, you, you don't have the ball to stand up to Gibbs, so, um, and Tom Murrow has no problem standing up to Gibbs. Yeah. Clearly, I mean, and that would be interesting, that'd be, now that could be an interesting outsider perspective POV, not for the whole story, but for at least for part of it, where you've got this, like, senator or something going, we got an entire federal agency, the largest federal agency, cowed by one retired Marine. I don't understand. How exactly does this work? Because, um, I mean, the How many sets of, that of is, balls can he have in one vice? Right. What does he have on all of you assholes? <laughs> and do we, need to just, do we need to just get rid of all of your dumb butts? All of you, including him. <laughs> and start over? Because I'm fine with that. In the meantime... Clearly, he hasn't been able to intimidate Homeland Security, so they can take the case because none of you can be trusted. The thing is about Homeland Security is that their scope is pretty large, and they could actually end up arresting Rivkin for an unrelated matter and then find out he's responsible for the 
murder of their agent. Mm-hmm. He's in the country illegally. He's been asked to leave. They could pick him up in L.A. during that legend arc, um, the backdoor pilot for NCIS L.A. Um, and they could they could pick him up there before he ever comes back. I mean, the hard I think the hard drive and stuff all all was already being trying to be cracked. But I may have the order of events wrong. I'd have to double check. But if they pick him up in L.A. because maybe he him killing people crosses into one of their operations. And even if NCIS has the hard drive, um, they would have to give it to Homeland Security. They would have to hand over everything they've got on Rivkin. Mm-hmm. I mean, Gibbs wouldn't want to, but he wouldn't have a choice. And even if Gibbs was trying to play the jurisdiction card, because um, if I remember correctly, Rivkin killed the ICE agent. Nobody actually knew at that point in time that it was Rivkin. Rivkin then went to L.A., and he then was then the whole legend thing happened that with all the people he was killing and they were chasing him down and then for whatever reason gibbs you know told instead of arresting him he told him to get out of the country and rifkin then went back to dc i think that's the basic order of events um and he killed the ice agent after he came back or before he went to los be- angeles be- before before the Gibbs and Gibbs didn't know that. I don't think he knew when he let him. Maybe he did know when he let him go that he was the one who killed that ICE agent. Oh, that is no. bullshit. I mean, I think God, when, I, you, when you I think, think that Gibbs did couldn't know. have a better set of ethics, that the, the bar couldn't go any lower. It does. I think they did know that Rifkin killed him, but for whatever reason, they I don't remember what their reason was for thinking that. Michael had to be let go, that they had to let him go. But Gibbs warned him to get out of the country. I'd have to rewatch Legend to see what was going on there. Because um, they, I believe, if I remember correctly, they pursued Rivkin. Um, they were following clues that led them to LA to catch who killed the ICE agent. And that's how they figured out that it was Rivkin. Like I said, I only saw this arc once because it made so little sense from a procedural. Pr- I mean, NCIS botches procedure all the time, but the amount, it, there's a difference between botching um, how long it takes to process DNA or, you know, various little, little procedural things that all these procedural crime dramas get wrong versus, you know, letting the murder of a federal agent go or, you know, taking an agent who defends himself against an assassin who's not supposed to be in the U S at all and dragging him off to a foreign intelligence agency to be interrogated. And the implication was that Tony might get, have to stand trial. Right. So. I thought the implication really when I watched it was, is that Tony might not, might not get out of it alive. Well, there was that implication too. That was that was more the the menace, I think. But um, they wanted him to come to bring him to stand trial, and I I think the implication was that he could have been executed as a result of his sentence. Yes, for defending himself on U.S. soil. So here's the thing: a foreign country cannot try you for crimes you commit in your own country. So even if he had committed a crime, he would have stood trial here. Israel wouldn't have to have jurisdiction to, to try him. They might have I, wanted to, but they wouldn't have had jurisdictions to do so. 
They didn't even have the right to ask to interrogate him. I mean, if there's going to be any questioning done, they they would have had to have made that kind of appeal to the State Department. And the State Department probably would have done the questioning if there was going to be anything like that. I mean, I'm not even sure what the procedure for that would be because it's so outside the realm of what would ever happen. And then, you know, after it happened, you know, Tony's got a broken arm and all this stuff. And they're there. Here, here we have a big procedure problem. They're processing the crime scene. Um, Gibbs and 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 McGee. And so Gibbs is talking. Um, McGee's worried about Tony. He's worried about him. And it was a better part of their relationship right there. Um, it was one of the times in the series when, when McGee and Tony were doing better was towards the end of season six, early season seven. And he was worried about him. And he says, is Tony be okay? And, and Gibbs says it was Tony's word against a dead man's. So what? So what? They don't need, they don't need the dead man's word. Tony didn't beat himself up. And he was legitimately working on a case. He had legitimate reasons to go to that place. He should have brought backup, but he did not. He did not have any reason to believe because um, Ziva has had had said that she didn't know anything about Rivkin. She told that to Gibbs. She didn't know anything about him. Now Tony knew otherwise. So in reality, that entire situation is Ziva's fault, right? Because Tony, he was supposed to be gone. Tony did know that Z Tony knew Ziva had lied to Gibbs. She knew it. He knew it. Or at least left a lot of stuff out. And Tony told Rifkin, get the fuck out of the country. So, and Gibbs had told Rifkin that, get out of this country. You know, you, he, he, they'd fucked up. So there were, Gibbs and Tony both let some stuff go in that episode that they shouldn't have. But I mean, I, on the one hand, Tony, they're, Tony was under orders not to, you know, mess with it. But he went there to talk to Ziva when that evidence about the espionage came up. And Ziva, Ziva wasn't there, but Rivkin was. And he wasn't even supposed to be in the country. So Tony had no reason to believe that Rivkin was going to be there. And then when the house is destroyed, Tony's got a broken arm, multiple he's beat up. And th their response to Rifkin being dead is that it was Tony's word about what happened against that of a dead man. Which is so much bullshit. Because seriously, there's all this forensic evidence as well. It's not just his word. No. And since when does Gibbs not trust Tony's word? But even if it was just Tony's word against a dead man, considering who was dead, that's all that should have been needed. There it is reminds me of the scene in Criminal Minds um, after um, Kochner has killed the Reaper. And he's standing there in the comp and he's sitting there in the conference room and they had they had interviewed the rest of the team. And it also is that perfect moment in this episode where um, one of the people who are are interviewing um, the team calls Reed agent and Reed you know answers the question and he leans forward a little bit and he says, and it's doctor. Best line ever. But <laughs> Yeah, just so you don't get confused in the future, it's doctor. Um, but Strauss asked Aaron, um, and this is and this is when you realize that the whole thing was just for form. She asked him if there was any other outcome he could have he could have foreseen in this situation, and he was like, "No." She said, "Good enough for me," and that's really what it should have been there. Mm -hmm. Be good enough for me. Yeah. That's it. That should have been all that was required. And 
and honestly, I mean, and the 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 kickoff this 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 series of events is what um, the unicorn relay is based around. I think you're right, Dark. I think it was the Emily arc, but it's still the best line that, that Reed ever delivered. Yeah, and it's Doctor. Um, but this whole the unicorn relay, the feeding frenzy is based. It starts around this event, right? Which is that Tony says, you know, he instead of going to Israel, he calls a friend and says should I have to do this? I don't really think I should have to do this. And it kicks off a different chain of events. But when the investigation actually happens, because a different FBI team takes on the investigation, and Tony's like, am I going to be in trouble? Um, the, the FBI agent said, why would you be in trouble? He was a, he was, and this, and this is the, this is the logic part of it, right? Is he, is, the agent basically tells him he is, um, an assassin and a spy from a foreign intelligence agency who is not even supposed to be here. You're beat to hell. He murdered an ICE agent. I don't need any word but yours. That's, I mean, he's killed, he killed multiple people on U.S. soil. That's all the word we need. That's the case closed. Your, your statement is sufficient. And that's the way it should have been. Your statement is sufficient. Respected federal agent with at that point about um eight plus years of federal service and six years of police service um against us an assassin and a spy who had killed multiple people on u.s soil including an ice agent and there needed to be a question about what happened i don't understand it just didn't. So, made no sense. It you know, it's honestly at some point you have to ask yourself, what did Michael Michael Weatherly do to the writers of that show to make them hate his character so much? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, why did he stay there so long? I think that they kept promising him that his character was going to come into his own um, every year. Because I I would read I would see these little articles about you know Michael Weatherly's you know interview he'd be interviewed or something about or even on like a, on the on the Tonight Show or the Late Show or whatever and they'd ask him what's in store for your character next year and he would always make some variant of Tony's really going to come into his own next year we're going to see a lot of new things for him and then it would never materialize and that started around season five season six so they were and, placating him and even when he refused to sign his new contract um they thought he was just angling for more money yeah and he was like nope no, i'm done because he didn't sign on with another cbs project right away he just severed uh, and then they came back quickly and said well let's get you well i think he stayed so long because he really believed what they were saying to him which is they also, I do think there was also a little bit of a propaganda machine around who the star power was on NCIS, uh, that it was Mark Harmon and Polly Perrette. And, um, so it totally was not. No, I mean, their ratings plummeted when he left. I only um, watched it for, I only ever watched it for him because I was a big Dark Angel fan. 
Yeah. And I was like, they canceled Dark Angel. And I only want to do it myself. And then he suddenly appeared on this show. And I was like, well, okay. <laughs> I didn't want to do it myself. So I was only there for Michael Weatherly to begin with, you know. Um, so it wasn't, Michael Weather didn't, didn't stay on for 16 seasons. He left in what, season 13? Season 12? Um, I think so. That placating only went on for five or six years, from what I could tell. I mean, I'm just talking, this is just the tone of the end of season interviews that he would give, would be like, oh, there's going to be a lot coming for Tony next year, and then like nothing coming for Tony next year. But the only year that that actually materialized um, was um, season eight, when they finally, at the end of that season, um, sort of shoehorned in some backstory for how Tony came to NCIS in the episode Baltimore. I think that's exactly what it was. It was shoehorned. It it didn't feel... Yeah, because the character that they built for him back in Baltimore bore no resemblance to the Tony we saw in season one. I was like, who's that dude? Um, so I'm hearing that the, NC the ICE agent died after Legends. Um... People are looking up the episode arc. But anyway, so there is a lot that you can be, by getting by getting Rivkin alive, um, there's something really to be said about him getting arrested trying to kill that ICE agent. I really like that idea. I like both the idea that he's arrested killing. The ICE agent is tougher than Rivkin expects. And that... Um, or maybe he has backup no one expected to be there. Yeah. Because who's there? Okay, so the, so the sec nav is there. Who else is there? I think the head of the FBI, the CIA. Oh, and... well, you don't, have to, you don't have to go any further. Because, um, okay, so director of the FBI is there. What if um, the FBI has an agent on, on scene as well? Hmm. So why is there how many people how many age how many how many security were there were on the scene? Was there only that one ICE agent? And if so, is that realistic? No, I think there were a couple more. Um but it, it wasn't um Okay, so it's SecNav's house, CIA brought the food, FBI brought the drinks. The head of ICE, so it wasn't the head of Homeland, it was just the head of ICE, um, or provided the security detail. So ICE provided security, FBI brought the drinks, CIA brought the food, and SECNAP provided the house. Tells you a lot about how the agency heads view Vance. Right. And also ICE is a division. Yes, it has its own head, but ICE is a division of Homeland Security. So... A little bit of a different. Uh, you could probably make a case for adjusting that to be the head of Homeland Security as opposed to the head of ICE. Okay, but seriously, so Secnav didn't invite his own director to his house, no. <laughs> right? I'm pretty sure Eli's is Gibbs's friend. Speaking of Queenie, you're gonna kill me with that shit. I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die. <laughs> gonna die reading emo's blog. 
Yeah, it's funny as hell. But yeah, clearly the other agency heads saw Seknav as being their peer, not Vance. So it's a little bit strange. But yeah, this is a case of where when you're looking at a fix it and you're trying to figure out what your catalyst is, if you want to do, you know, your the catalyst for change, you could have another agent there um, from another another agency, or maybe ICE wasn't, you know, maybe one of the guys on the ICE security detail um, called out sick and they brought somebody else in. Um, maybe you know, Secnav could go. I've got some seals laying around. I've got, I haven't got enough to do right now. Um, it could be a pseudo punishment detail, like, you know, some Navy SEALs, they maybe, maybe achieve their objective or something. It was a little messier than he'd like. He'd be like, you guys are going to have to play what do security for our poker night. Cause I'm a little bit, until I'm, until I'm done being annoyed with you. <laughs> Would SecNav have secret service? Um, no, no, I don't think so. No. If he required security, it would be through NCIS. Even, I mean, even senators and stuff, most of the senators, unless there's some major security threat, don't get Secret Service protection. Um, so, if he gets arrested trying to kill that ICE agent, <laughs> the puns, the yeah. Puns, the, the puns, puns, the puns. Um, if we put Rivka on ice, <laughs> the puns. Um, it would be it would just be really interesting. Um, if uh, he got arrested there, and if this happens after LA. Is that accurate? Is that what you guys figured out? Yeah, it is right after LA. Then Gibbs is going to have to answer for the fact that he told this dude to leave. And this dude goes back to Washington and tries to kill somebody. Yeah, it's because while they're... It's, I think it's while they're investigating... Um, if I... I'm, re I'm looking at time trying to... I'm, I'm not got the whole recap read, but I'm skimming the recap. It's while they're investigating the ICE case is when they discover what Ziva did. Yeah, Giz made a made a hobby of looking the other way when it served him to do so. Um, <clears throat> Rivka was going off the rails at this point. He might have yeah. been on mission in in Los Angeles. It's doubtful, but he might have been. But by the time he gets back to Washington, he's going he's going completely off the rails. He was drunk most of the time. He I lost mean, the plot. Yeah. Um, to answer the prior question that came up, um, NCIS, NCIS provides the protection for um, anybody in the Department of the Navy that gets needs protection um, for key Department of the Navy personnel, including the Secretary of the Navy, is provided. And most most agencies do have some level of security force. So, like the FBI provides security for certain groups of people. NCIS provides for any, you know, for, for key Navy personnel. Same thing happens in the Air Force and the Army. Um, Homeland Security has, there's even, I think the Department of the Agriculture even has a security team that handles protection for like their top people. So, it's um, Secret Service is a very limited scope about who they protect. 
I don't mean the plot, his plot. He lost his plot. He was he was going completely off the rails. He he and you know, you could almost say that he was self-medicating to handle the mission that he'd been given by Eli David. Which is ugly because basically he was really super super depressed about having to fuck Ziva, so he was drinking himself. <laughs> I'm laughing about the same thing. He was drinking himself to death. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> this poor dude. I mean, it was just like. Shit got difficult. <laughs> well, Ziva got involved with Rivkin at um, the beginning of over the over the summer break between season five and season six. So she's been with him for about a year now. And what, of course, what Tony brought came what came to light during Aaliyah when during his interrogation was Tony tricked Eli into admitting that Rivkin was ordered to get involved with Ziva. And so Rifkin was in the States. He was there about Ziva. He was there for Ziva. He was there to ensure she stayed on track, presumably with the espionage, um, to make sure that they were late, probably to make sure their relationship stayed, stayed sound, and um, that she was under his thumb and doing what Eli wanted through Rifkin's manipulation. So, I mean, it was... Shady as fuck. Yeah, and and you know, I mean, he's terrible because he tried to kill our unicorn. But also, dude was suffering. Yeah, he clearly didn't. He clearly wasn't pleased with what he was doing. His lot in life. Um, and really, the only reason Tony survived that is because Eli was drunk. Not Eli. Rip Michael was drunk. That's just reality. And also, let's also take a moment to commend Tony's um, ability not to, like, throw that in her face in a temper tantrum. You know, like, in a moment of heated anger. At least my dad never had to order somebody to fuck me. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm that bitch that would have said it. Well, and, and Ziva, I mean, and then they compound that, right? So Rifkin gets involved with Ziva to begin with because of daddy's orders. So they get involved when she's back in Israel. Um, Ziva goes back to the U.S. when, Z- when Gibbs gets the team back together. Um, Rifkin then comes at the end of season six to do whatever he's going to do, and he gets himself killed. Ziva stays behind in Israel because she just can't bear to work with Tony. And then Eli somehow convinces Ziva that she is somehow responsible for taking on Rivkin's next mission, which is how she winds up being held by terrorists in Somalia. And he leaves her there. He was punishing her um, for getting caught. That's probably true. Then, because NCIS strives to be realistic, they go rescue her and bring her back and make her an American citizen. Yes. (laughs) The realism never ends. I didn't have a problem with them rescuing me. I didn't have a problem with them busting up that. They didn't know she was alive. So, them coming back with her, 
was probably for them like a bonus. It's like, oh, well, we, we thought we were going there to break up this group that killed our former teammate and make sure that they, you know, whatever. I mean, that was their, their ostensibly their agenda, right? And they brought her back. Okay, fine. And then it was like they all just had selective amnesia about what she'd done. Well, we're gonna we're gonna fast track your citizenship so we can make you a federal agent. Never mind the fact that I'm pretty sure you're not eligible to be a federal agent if you've committed espionage in that country. You know, I just don't think it works that way. But whatever. Um, we just think it. You know, it's you know we're just that's, we're gonna we're gonna work on that assumption that you probably um, can't even come back to the country because you're a fucking spy. Oh. oh, look, you're here. But, you know, we've talked before on other episodes about how we don't think that, with the way they positioned um, Ziva, that we don't think that they ever intended for her to be a permanent part of the show. Uh, that, that she was written early on, like, and some of the things they dropped about her made you think they were going to go to some kind of reveal in a year or two where she was going to get be outed as a bad guy. And there, were the, there, were, there was the foreshadowing for that stuff. And then they kind of followed through with it. And then they just decided to erase it. I was like, wow, is that the way that works? Okay. Okay. Okay, baby. I mean, it is beyond obvious that Kate was killed to make room for Ziva. And that Yeah. That she was that it was planned. And since Ziva did the profiling for that team, she picked her spot. Ziva picked his target. And she decided she needed to, she, she probably didn't feel like she could compete. She couldn't, she couldn't play the daddy card, the, the wounded little girl daddy card um, with Gibbs with another female on the team. She couldn't have replaced McGee because she didn't have the computer skills for it. She couldn't have replaced Tony because she didn't have the investigative skills for it. And if Gibbs had lost Tony, he would have had to, there was no way that they could have taken on a proby. Or an, an, an asset like Ziva with one proby and Kate. Who was basically a proby. So it had to be her. Yeah. Um, okay, so when it comes to... Um... Yeah, Ziva's, Ziva's immigration, even if she hadn't committed espionage, is a little bit dodgy. Because it just doesn't work that way. Um, she would... Uh, somebody somebody called in some major favors. But with the espionage angle, they had to have been covering that up. Which means whoever they called those favors... And there you go, there's another avenue for exploration of a canon divergent fix-it. Is somebody who they called in those favors to finds out that she committed espionage. And they're not happy about it whoever they call those favors into probably at the state department to get her citizenship fast tracked. Um, finds out that it's she, shit. I'd be furious if it was me. I'd be like, you, you, you let me be complicit in m giving 
somebody who committed espionage against the, with one of our agents, federal agencies, helped me fast track their citizenship so that they could go and have, and then you're going to give them access to classified material again? You made me complicit in that? I would be, I'd be fit to be Just what kind of crack are you smoking? Yeah, exactly. What is wrong with you? Because at that point, you're not even asking if they are smoking it. Like, what kind? <laughs> because there's no way you're not smoking it. You're smoking something. Okay, so. But if you've got... If you know that your catalyst is going to be... Should we pick one? Which, 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 which one seems most appealing to you? Of Michael gets arrested. Do you want to have him get caught arrested at Ziva's apartment? Do we want to have him get arrested right then by the ICE, ICE agent? Do you want to have the ICE agent get killed, but Homeland um, gets pressured by like a senator to keep on the investigation? Which one sounds the most interesting? I feel like it would be really interesting if Homeland Security, um, if the ICE agent proved to be a little bit more robust than than Rivkin anticipated, and Rivkin ends up getting arrested for trying to murder an ICE agent. Mm -hmm. So, or and because there's more than one person there. It could be more than one ICE agent there, and and if we go, if you go with the angle that it's Homeland, but just ICE are the ones providing the security detail, you could have it be any Homeland agent. It wouldn't have to be ICE, which means you could have, like, let's say ICE called in a favor and said, "Look, I can't get enough people together for the security detail tonight," or they could get some Secret Service guys there. There could be, um, I don't remember what all the other departments are in Homeland. They do have a criminal investigation division, I think, but I don't remember what its focus is. But anyway, so you could get, um, you, could have, you could have, you could really play up who's there. Um, you could have, what is his name? Mike Banning. Um, Banning could be, um, do a favor for his buddy, the director of Homeland Security. Um, it's like, yeah, 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 okay. So, or a friend of his calls out sick or something. Yeah, I'll cover for you tonight. And Mike Banning is there when someone tries to kill an ICE agent, when Rivkin tries to, I, I, I would, I, I'm all in on Mike Banning against Michael Rivkin. I in, in the I dark at second outset. Mike Banning is the Secret Service agent in Olympus Has Fallen. He's played by Gerard Butler. Um, I'm all in. So this is where your catalyst comes in. You bring in somebody from the outside who has, and he plausibly have, would have a reason to be there, right? Now, considering that he's on the president's protection detail, he wouldn't normally be. And I doubt if, if you were to bring him in, he'd be doing it as a favor. I doubt the guys in the room would even know who was outside handling security. Because it would be a, probably a favor to somebody who's like, yeah, yeah, I can cover for you. Don't worry about it. Just go, you know, kind of thing. That kind of, that's how that, those things happen. Right. I'll take this, I'll take this protection detail for you, or you did me a favor here. I'll do this favor for you. And does the CIA know that the head of the president's protection detail is sitting outside? No, not until there's, you know, and yeah, I was, I was, I was going to say dead, but because Mike kills people, let's just be real. Mike kills people. But 
we could arrest him since that's the plot drift. Mike could arrest him. <laughs> <laughs> it can happen. It could be a it could be a moment. <laughs> Mike's all in for the headshot usually. <laughs> I mean, he could punch him in the head if it would make Mike feel better. <laughs> and it probably would. Oh yeah, he'd punch him a lot in the head. Yeah. <laughs> um that's from London has fallen. That image right there where they basically destroy all of London. It was a very cruel thing to do. Um they weren't kidding about London has fallen. <laughs> it's all I of it. I haven't watched it, but I I don't expect it to be heavy, you know, really um really uh interesting on the plot, but it's yeah. not. But it's entertaining. But it's it's just don't expect much. But the same thing can be said for Olympus Has Fallen. Don't expect much. This is an action movie with Gerard Butler um, getting to shoot a lot of people. It's very good. I enjoyed it. But I also like White House Down for other reasons. For other reasons, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, but the President of the United States using a rocket launcher is hilarious. It was good. <laughs> well, it was It was also, I love that the... That um, the President? <laughs> <laughs> and what, what did he do? He did something in the car. I don't remember what it was. That, that I can't remember Channing Tatum's character's name, but the President said something and he's like, just do it! That whole thing with the car when they're in the limo with the, with the rocket launcher... That was, yeah, that's the shot right there. And, and the press was going, is that the president? President? <laughs> I also like that the president and that one used Marine One to do those flybys of the Washington Monument. The badass president is definitely in um, White House Down. Um, in Olympus Has Fallen, he spends most of the time in handcuffs. <laughs> Bless his heart. He's a good president, but he's he's not the badass that that, that Jamie Foxx was. And I ship it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not even going to play. I totally ship the president and Mike Banning. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I ship it. So I wouldn't be mad about, but you could put anybody there, right? You could just have, you could, you could put Steve McGarrett in there. I just think that you, you've, a, you, there's a really plausible way to get Mike Banning on site, you know? And, um, Certainly, Rifkin is no match for White Ban for for Mike Banning, and um, so that's your setup, right? Um, Rifkin gets arrested, and then you've made this big change, and your ripples. This is your where your quantum craft comes in. Is what happens as a result of this significant change that you've set up? You know, you you brought Banning in. I'd probably, you know, even though I shipped the president and Mike, I probably, because of, you know, it, you're dealing with NCIS events, I'd probably get Mike and Tony together. I'm not mad. I'm not mad <laughs> at it, right? Um, so, you know, um, and your ripples, the ripples of that would be, I think, pretty significant because they can't, um, NCIS probably would come under scrutiny at that point quite a lot of scrutiny if 
if they catch this guy because Homeland's got the guy at this point, right? And they're not going to probably readily turn him over until they know who the target of this guy was and what he was up to. And there's probably going to be a real shit storm kicked over, especially since banning's involved. It's probably going to go all the way up to the president. Like, Mike, it was your night off. <laughs> what did you do? And so the president's going to be curious. So they're not going to be able to. I stayed in the, the house. You told me to stay in the house. I stayed in the house and you went, look what you did. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's like, we can't let you out anywhere. It's just every time you leave the house, stuff happens. We're starting to think it's you, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> it could be you. Um, so you've got to explore what's going to happen here. The president is going to at least be aware of it. And so he's probably going to ask questions. So that means that they don't have the opportunity they did in canon of basically obscuring what was going on. And there's going to be questions about why they just warned, you know, Rivkin about leaving instead of arresting his ass in LA. Um, and now, if you were doing a canon divergence, this is, you could actually say that where the president himself was in the house, and that's why Mike Banning was on the scene. That the president was sitting down at that table to play poker. Well, it would, it would have to be canon divergent either way, right? Well, inserting a single character would be, yeah, canon divergent. But if you had the president sitting down at the table, it's no longer a fix-it. Because you're you're creating a problem that you're going to fix. Because why was the president sitting there? Because he wasn't there in canon. So it can't be a fix it for Quantum Bang. But a canon well, depends, divergence, but yes. It, it depends on what you're fixing, though, right? Just the president being there doesn't change what gets fixed. Well, it That's does what... put Mike Banning on the scene. As guarding the president. Now, you bring him in as a member of ICE. I was highlighting the difference between the two because earlier in the week I had someone bring to me an idea or basically they, they broke canon and then wanted to fix what they broke um, but you can't do that in the quantum bang well if that can't be your, your fix can't be to what you broke but right. you're not we're not breaking anything the, if if the problem is that the person, I mean, I would think that in this case, in this particular instance, if Rifkin was trying to assassinate the president, that would break canon. But just having the president present at that poker game doesn't fundamentally change the events leading up to that point from an NCIS perspective. And the ripple effect of that event, because if you have to stick super close to canon... Um, for for the thing you for for your change because we're we're talking about your change right arresting Rivkin is not the fix arresting Rivkin to me is the change and that ripples into the fix so your the consequences of what you changed is going to result in a fix so Ziva gets arrested Vance is out you know and part of that could be a lot of scrutiny brought to bear because the president was in residence. Would not in residence, but he was present when this shit went down. So I don't well, think that's a case of fixing what you broke. Right. But here's the thing. If, if the president is in that house, Michael Rifkin isn't getting arrested. <laughs> well, that's true. It's a different plot diff, Drift. The Secret Service kills Michael, Michael Rifkin. Rifkin. <laughs> Instead of, but I just I don't I don't think it would disqualify it as a fix it, um, unless unless that was where your story ended, 
Right. I mean, if your story ended there, then it's no fix it for NCIS or Olympus has fallen. It's just a Canada Virgin story. Um, but if you make that change and you use the president's presence and Michael being on scene and all of that as your catalyst for a change in canon, NCIS canon, like the president decided to attend SecNav's poker game. Um, and it would be secret because you don't tell people where the president's going to be or something like that, right? Rifkin doesn't know the president's going to be there. And so, so the, the president would not be his target. Right. So it was just a would, happy circumstance that he come across the president of the United States playing poker. Right. And so he's just trying to spy and he nearly gets caught in as in canon. He gets caught with this whole these this whole thing. And um he tries to kill somebody, but secrets but it's much more qualified people um on scene and they either kill him or arrest him. Uh for this plot drift, he gets arrested. And then if you're for, for the purpose, and this is a case of where it really matters what your focus is, right? So if your focus is the consequences of that change, right? You've used Mike and the president as your catalyst for change. And then the ripple, the ripple of that should lead to your fix. If it doesn't, should. then you have failed in terms of a fix it. If it because if it doesn't lead to your fix, you actually didn't plot a fix it story. So it's a matter of what you're trying to do. I, if I were doing it, I would be probably focusing on the romance angle a little bit. I'd be having getting Tony and Mike together ultimately. And um, I would be having, I'd, Vance would be out by the end of it. Gibbs would be out. Ziva would be in jail. Eli would be ousted. I mean, it'd be like all this scrutiny brought to bear on all of this secret shit that NCIS has been doing behind the scenes because um, they can't hide it anymore. They can't manipulate cases away from the FBI. Uh, there's just all of a sudden there's a bright spotlight on everything that they fucked up. It makes me really happy. And that to me, I mean, that's the kind of fix I would really enjoy. It's like, oh, Vance is gone and Gibbs is in trouble and <laughs> <laughs> Ziva's in jail and Eli David is not the head of Mossad anymore. So Ziva can't bludgeon people with my daddy anymore. Um, when my father mm. hears about this. Okay, Draco. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, it's not Vance's poker game. It's the Seknaz poker game, and Vance wasn't invited. Very telling. Oh, Tony would totally call her that. If if she was being interrogated and she started talking about her father, I could totally see Tony rolling his eyes and going, Okay, Draco. <laughs> <laughs> Please. Please, someone write that, please. And I, another angle for getting Homeland to arrest um, Michael Rifkin is to actually... Uh, Tony doesn't know Michael Rifkin's in the apartment until he gets there, right? No, no. He's going to talk to Ziva. And at what point do they know he killed the ICE agent? Uh, they know before he goes. I don't remember exactly when they find out, but they know before he goes. I think they think Michael's gone already. Because um, McGee called, as I recall, McGee called um, Tony and gave him, I may be like conflating things, but I thought McGee called Tony and gave him 
um, Rivkin's flight information. Um, For me, an ultimate fix-it on NCIS, in, in this particular segment of NCIS, would be Tony not getting the, his ass whooped and killing a Mossad agent um, and not being dragged to Israel by Gibbs and Vance and Ziva paying for being a fucking spy and Vance paying for allowing it to happen and Gibbs paying for being an asshole. <laughs> I mean, sometimes, sometimes the fix is preventing an event from occurring, right? So that's what, that would be the primary angle would be preventing an event from occurring but there's a lot of like visceral satisfaction to be had from giving some people some real real life consequences to I mean, so that's the uh, that's the plot part that's the plot focus but i would also be totally on board with tony getting a hot sexy ass um secret service agent me too <laughs> i'm not sure what we're gonna call this ship but we're calling this ship something <laughs> Because I'm on board that train. I didn't know that train existed. <laughs> well, con considering the name of the movies, I think we have to call it The Fallen Ship, which is probably unfortunate. <laughs> Boom ship. Yeah. Secret ship is cute. <laughs> Secret ship is cute. Secret ship is cute. Protector ship is super punny. Super punny, Willow. That wasn't a criticism. <laughs> the USS Olympus. Yeah. <laughs> we love, we, we're always down for good pun. <laughs> the eye fallen ship. <laughs> <laughs> Help me get up, baby. <laughs> now I've got that Alicia Key song in my head. Yeah, right? It goes right there. As soon as somebody says fall, and I go, uh-huh. <laughs> I'll spare you my singing, but in my head, I'm singing it. So, um, yeah. That's where, that's probably what my focus on the fix it was. Same thing with Kira, be to prevent that shit show that was Aaliyah from occurring. Um, so you'd basically be doing your canon divergence during Semper Fidelis, uh, which is the second to the last episode of season six. Uh, but you could also um, have Tony request some backup to go to Ziva's apartment. Um, you, you could, if you want to do a fix around Tony poking more at procedure, it depends on what you want to do, right? Where you want to throw the wrench in the works. If you want to like poke, have Tony poke more about the procedure aspect of it. He could try to, you know, put a little bit more, get more attention and be getting some resistance. Maybe, maybe he's just talking tomorrow about it, you know, not in a way that is bad for his job, but tomorrow calls him and says, you know, I'd like, honestly, I, I'd like an update on this investigation. And Tony tells him, well, he could, you know, whatever he's authorized to tell him or something. And Tony says, but I'm going to go, you know, I need to go talk to get some more information from Ziva and find out what role she had in all of this, because I don't understand this. And maybe Morrow inter interjects a moment of sanity and says, well, you're not going alone. Are you nuts? I'll have right. a couple of my, I'll right. have a couple of, 
I'll have a couple of my guys meet you there. Um, and uh, both Homeland guys meet Tony there just, just to be sure everything's okay. And the minute Rifkin attacks, they're, they, they come in and they subdue him and put him in cuffs and haul him out of there. What if Homeland figured out that Rifkin did it before NCIS did? And they're looking for him. Because this whole plot hinges on the fact that both the FBI and Homeland are utterly incompetent. Well, and that only NCIS can do the job. Right. Well, NCIS had the evidence, um, which they had no right to have. It should have been an FBI investigation. And that's where you could have that leverage of Homeland puts their foot down and says, why are you guys letting NCIS run this investigation? I don't care whose house it was. There is a dead federal agent that is your jurisdiction. And since you, and this is where the father of, you know, the father or mother of a, of, you know, powerful parent could be helpful is say, if you guys aren't going to do your job, you, you go get that case back. Maybe it, you know, Morrow puts pressure on the head of the FBI and they even give the name of the FBI director in the episode. Um, it's like, FBI Director Hutchins. Um, Director Hutchins um, insists that they get the uh, go pick up the evidence from F from NCIS, and Homeland then takes it from FBI. And says you guys can't be trusted with this investigation. We're we're t we're taking this, you know, because they had the uh, the transmitter that Rifkin was using, and I think it was a hard drive they were crack trying to crack. I don't remember what all they had. But, um, yeah, it was a real, the fact that NCIS was running that investigation and ostensibly their, their rationale was because it was at SecNav's house, but that it doesn't really bullshit. establish, that doesn't establish jurisdiction when there's a dead ICE agent. It certainly shouldn't, even if it, it seems unrealistic. <sighs> yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Um. And honestly, Gibbs ties to sec to Philip Davenport was just it was just ridiculous. Philip Davenport was clearly a major protection force for Gibbs throughout until the end of season eight when he his his whole his poor decision choices with that op. I can't remember what it was called. The one that got that that was caused the that the port to port killer was um an operative from a from a project that Davenport had worked on. Um and that all that that shit all came home to roost at the end of season eight, which is why Davenport resigned as SecNav over the whole thing. So the the influence um that Gibbs had with SecNav should have died and what was protecting him should have died when Philip Davenport left, but it didn't. You know, Gibbs got to keep going on doing. Well, Vance um, does a lot to protect Gibbs as well. Because it's a mutual assured destruction otherwise. Right. Especially once especially once he has, Gibbs has. Because you know, Vance, in that episode where Vance just hides the evidence about Gibbs 
killing Pedro Hernandez, he doesn't destroy it. He drops it in a random box of evidence in the archives. He does. He hides it. He hides it so nobody else can find it. But he doesn't destroy it. And if he were protecting Gibbs, he would have destroyed it. That's his insurance policy. Yep. Which is why I think, because I mean, there I've I've read several. The episode with about Tyler Owens and Vance was vague about whether or not Vance actually was Tyler Owens or not. You're left to think he is Tyler Owens, but it isn't explicitly. And so I've I've seen multiple, you know, posts from people about how no Vance isn't Tyler Owens and you know that, that they left it vague, but you can and yes, you could interpret it either way. But Vance's behavior when it comes to Gibbs doesn't make a whole lot of sense unless he actually is Tyler Owens. So I'm just saying the 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 way the show is written leads you to the worst case scenario every Vance single is- time mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's just like their it's, it's like their their point well the thing about the whole pedro hernandez thing is um, someone just said in the chat room, what if Tony finds that box when he's looking for a cold case? You you say that like Tony doesn't already know that Gibbs killed Hernandez. I, I think he certainly strongly suspects, for sure. Because he's not an idiot. But I never bought into the idea that Tony didn't know that Gibbs had a wife and daughter who were dead. I mean, that everybody everybody being blindsided and mystified by that confused the fuck out of me. It's like public record searches aren't a thing for law enforcement. Um, well, yeah, Vance, um, one of the first things Vance does in Shepard's office is destroy something. And it's probably something from his own file. Yeah, probably. Right, exactly. Tony knew a lot about Gibbs, and he didn't know Tony that Gibbs' father was alive. He somehow didn't know that Gibbs had a wife and daughter who had died while in NCIS protective custody. Um, Which doesn't seem realistic at all. How is that not like an urban legend in NCIS? Right. How is it that not literally not everybody knows that? The thing nobody talks about in front of Gibbs is about, you know... So it, it doesn't actually make sense that all this information is super secret. Um, and I don't, I don't believe, I agree with you exactly after Baltimore and the, and the, the betrayal Tony went through in Baltimore, finding out his, his, there's no way he came to NCIS without investigating. I mean, Gibbs had a background on Tony. Why wouldn't Tony do a background check on Gibbs? It doesn't make any sense. Well, he did. It's just bad writing. It is just bad writing. Let's be real. They retconned Gibbs' backstory. Mm-hmm. To make the character more interesting. To give him more depth. I think they introduce that the, the daughter and the the wife being dead. Is that season three when we first find out about that? Yeah, I think it's I think it's after um the undercovers episode or Mary Deering undercovers in season three. Uh Gibbs you first see the names Kelly Kelly and Shannon written on a flask Gibbs is taking a drink or something and he says I miss you guys every day and you get the vibe that something happened I think that was the first time we actually learn anything about that that it was just 
shoehorned in. But the thing is, if they had thought through it rationally and thought through the consequences of that, then it would have been obvious that, of course, Ducky knew and, of course, Tony knew. But when they did the episode at the end of season three, when they did um, hiatus at the end of season three, they wanted that shock, Tony and Ducky not knowing. And Ducky's anger and da 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 da. So they had it realistic. It is unrealistic. There's no way they don't know. So, um, because then, and and then they compounded that by with the, so they compounded that bad decision in season three, at the end of season three, when they get to the end of season eight, and you have Tony coming to NCIS as a result of his partner betraying him and being a bad, (laughs) dirty cop. His partner's a dirty cop and he um, wouldn't run a background check on Gibbs. That doesn't make any sense. Um, Also, somebody mentioned that uh, if Tony found out Gibbs is, was, would actually had, if he got evidence, he would, he had actually killed. Tony would do something about it. It is my head canon, yes, that I don't think Tony, if he knew for sure, that had proof about of Gibbs murdering somebody. I think he would have a hard time with. It. That's the way I write the character. But the way canon canon is very inconsistent with Tony's characterization, and Tony did let his partner go. Now I, th- it's a little bit of a different situation because that whole blue line thing as a cop, it could have been very bad for him. Uh, to out his partner, but the bottom line was is that he did know that his partner was dirty. Now he didn't know that it wasn't only his partner, but he decided to walk away from it rather than do anything about it. So there is canon precedent for Tony letting that kind of thing go. Unfortunately, much as I don't like it, yeah. Also, Frank, I agree. Frank's did have a duty of care to Gibbs. And Frank's telling Gibbs who killed Shannon and Kelly was. It was selfish because he wanted justice and he wasn't going to get it because he didn't. Yep. He used that man's grief to get justice. And he bound. And he bound Gibbs tightly to him in a really dysfunctional relationship the two of them had. And so when when Frank shows up and murders somebody, Gibbs just lets it slide. Um, he could be he could have been in theory extradited to Mexico to stand trial for that murder, but Mexico has a statute of limitations on murder. But either way, his career would be over. Right. Looking up how long it is on murder. I think it's 20 years. It might be 10. Really? That's kind of terrible. I think there are some crimes that shouldn't have a statute of limitations on them. Um, murder, rape, child molestation. If you do those things, you should have to worry about getting caught for doing it for the rest of your life. You should fear punishment as long as you live. 
which is the whole point behind the statute of limitations is that you um that it's um inhumane to have someone um fear it's 14 years fear punishment for stealing a car <laughs> when they're 16 when they're 40 you know but you know honestly if you're gonna be an asshole i think you should pay for it yeah, i agree um it's 14 years for murder so Gibbs actually couldn't be tried for that murder anyway. It could ruin his career. But really, honestly, in like reality, if that were to happen, they would uh, very quietly and very, um, very insistently retire that agent and get them off the field, out of the play, out of sight, out of mind, to avoid a scandal. Yeah, that was... Um, um... 2010 is when I think the inf information came out. I think Kelly and Shannon died in, what was it, 91? Um, so yeah, it was well past the, the statute of limitations. So, but it would have it would have been a career ender. That's, that's all that they were protecting him from. Uh, in canon, only Vance and Abby knew. Abby wrote the report. She turned a hard copy over to, to Vance. Um, he's the only one who got it because Abby went to Gibbs and said that she didn't know what to do and Gibbs wouldn't tell her what to do. He told her she had to do what she felt was right. And she chose to go ahead and write the report, which was the right thing to do, except she didn't submit the report like she normally would. She gave a hard copy to Vance and basically she passed the buck on who was going to take Gibbs down. And Vance ultimately buried it, but no, Tony never got the report. I don't even think he knew in canon. I don't recall him knowing that any well, of that had anything to do with Gibbs. No, because because was, eventually those eventually they they try to kill Gibbs over right. It. But Tony, it, it, but they they knew he did know, but he didn't know about Abby's investigation. Oh, yeah. He knew she was doing an investigation, okay, but he didn't know what about that that she had she didn't he didn't read that report. Only Vance ever got that report. So he didn't know the outcome of that or any of that. Um and Tony was sent to Mexico um during part of this to I think follow um Alejandro Rivera, maybe, who pretty nearly got shot and Frank's pulled Tony out of the way, if I'm remembering this episode correctly. So Tony was occupied elsewhere um, during when a lot of the report stuff was going down. And then when this whole thing was all wrapped up, I think in the first episode of season eight, I'm not 100% sure about exactly which episode. At the very end, you see Vance walking through this, this warehouse with file boxes. And he just opens a box and he plops the report in, closes it, and walks away. Um, no, because if Homeland's looking into it, it's a year earlier. It, it, it's an issue. Of, that's an issue of timeline because if Homeland is looking into Rivkin, they're looking into everything. Um, Pedro Hernandez's murder only hit the radar because Alejandro Rivera put it on their radar. So if there was an investigation into NCIS, I mean, they could get Gibbs on a lot of stuff, not the least of which was letting... Mike Franks get away with murdering somebody. Uh, but that was season that was season five, I think. So that was that was a year before this. 
but it, it it wouldn't it wouldn't go into the Hernandez thing because it it w- wasn't on the radar in anybody it was on anybody's radar at that point. Certainly, anybody could have put those pieces together, but Hernandez died in Mexico. So, yeah, it could be that they would fire him for letting Rivkin go. I would have to double check exactly how the end of the legend arc happened. Well, they had such bad character inconsistency, but I don't think I think that I think that a deep investigation into NCIS would result in Vance being gone, Ziva being gone, uh, Gibbs being gone, for sure, but not not because of the Hernandez thing. Which would honestly, if you look at the ripple, would get Gibbs killed, because if Gibbs retires, if Gibbs is retired with you know because of they need to get him out of the way. They need to get, get a scandal. He's going to go do what he does. Um, he's, he might end up on a beach with Mike Franks. Um, that puts him in the crosshairs for that cartel. And killing a retired agent with no resources would be a walk in the park. Yeah. And the reason they didn't just kill him outright in can they were trying to make his life miserable. But... Um, Paloma Reynosa, she had an agenda with Gibbs. I mean, she, I think she still her and I think her end game ultimately was to kill him no matter what. But she wanted him to dance to her tune first. She wanted him to help her with drug smuggling. She wanted him to smooth the way for her to traffic drugs across the border. So she was going to milk that for her her for her drug running business first. You know, money first. And then she probably would have found a way to kill him. Well, she wouldn't have had any reason to play those games with him. The games she and her brother Alejandro played with Gibbs, they wouldn't have had any reason to play with him in that way when he had no resources that they could leverage. He was not useful. To, he would not be useful to them at all. So if, he'd be a corpse. And, that's, and they chose to act at that time because of their expansion of their drug business, I believe. So, because they could have acted on their intel at any time they knew who had killed their father they knew where the billet was they knew where the body was they knew all of this stuff they chose not to act on it until they until they did because and and i'm this was not clear in the episode but it's presumably um it was because they needed some sort of help with something and that was the time they were going to use this leverage yeah, they wouldn't want there to be a scandal for Gibbs because um, it would it would touch too many cases that had already been tried, cases that were going to be tried. Um, and so it's one of the reasons why um, if someone higher up realized that Vance was an imposter, that they would quietly make him go away, far away, um, with as little scandal as possible to avoid um, the entire agency and the justice system of JAG being compromised by Vance. By it could yeah. happen with Gibbs too. Every every case they signed off on would be called into question. So realistic consequences for Vance are always going to be quiet retirement. Because it's oh especially over the Tyler Owens thing, they cannot afford to let that get out. And 
that is the reason why Vance won't, wouldn't go to jail is because if they're going to put him in jail anyway, he has no personal incentive other than being a decent human being. He has no personal incentive to keep his mouth shut about that fraud. And it could cause such a horrible scandal. It, it could put criminals on the street. So it's one of those cases of where they have to do the thing that feels really ugly, which is let him get away with no consequences, basically. Um, in order to protect the victims and keep those the real criminals in jail, and Gibbs in the, and Gibbs is the same situation, but to a smaller degree. Because if Gibbs is if it's discovered that Gibbs and if it's publicized that Gibbs has been letting people get away with stuff, has been letting it, condoning murder, his ethics are called into question. His his word his his veracity is called into question can you believe anything he said on the stand any savvy defense lawyer would put an appeal through on a case if gibbs was the investigating agent they just would especially if it was somebody a civilian who was arrested and tried in a civilian court because military courts are a little bit different they're probably not going to have as much success with an appeal in the military court it would honestly depend how much um how involved Gibbs was with the processes, um, how involved he was with getting the confession, if there was confession. Um anything he touched in a case would be tainted. Yeah. I have to step away for a second. I'll be right back. Okay. Um but back to but back to Mike Banning because that's hot. Uh I think it would be really interesting to have those uh ramifications play out where um, Ice does catch Rifkin um, and it all unravels and uh, Ziva goes to jail and Tony gets a hot secret service agent I'm just that's a mental picture right there <laughs> I don't actually know what's more satisfying <laughs> Ziva in jail or Mike Banning and Tony Dinozo. <laughs> It's like a mm. it's a win-win. It's a win-win. Why not both? Both. Yeah. Both. Uh, but if the president is in the house, that makes it really easy to put Mike Banning on the scene. Um, and But like I said before, and I'll say it again, if the president is in that house, Mike Banning won't be arresting Rifkin. Rifkin is going to be dead. But honestly, I think realistically speaking, if the president was on the scene, it wouldn't just be Mike Banning on the scene. It would be a full service Secret Service detail. Secret Service would take over the entire event. Um, so the likelihood of Rifkin even getting near that house, I think is pretty slim, especially if Mike Banning's running the show. The plot drip is to have him arrested. And so we're exploring the ramifications and ripples of that as an exercise, as a writing exercise for people. Because this particular podcast, along with other podcasts specifically designed for the Quantum Bang, are going to go on the Quantum Bang Forum, which is a private place on Quantum Bang for Quantum Bang writers. So this is a learning experience um, for those of you who didn't get what I was trying to do here. We're 
we're trying to um, explore consequences and ripples and um, as a writing exercise, as a learning tool in a semi-educational fashion. <laughs> I was just discussing Mike Banning again, and then I was telling I was telling them about why we were doing the podcast um, on the quantum craft stuff in a semi-educational fashion. Semi-educational. <laughs> yeah. Because I made a forum on the Fixer, and that's the that's the private forum on Quantum Bang um, for the for the podcast topics. So. So there, NCIS is a show that fails to account for its own ripples a lot. So, oh, baby, yeah, you're way out of date. <laughs> um, Except I choose not to believe that. Doesn't make a lot of sense. So. I don't believe it. If she had a Denozo, she had seniors, baby, not, not Tony's. <laughs> I believe that. Yeah. Um, so NCIS fails, fails to deal with its own ripples a lot. And as a result of that, you have a lot of opportunities to places to correct um, little and small things. But it, it also gives you a lot of points where you can interpret things in different ways. Um, you could interpret Vance as being a good guy or a bad guy, and Cannon could back you up either way, right? Gibbs is a little bit harder for me. Uh, I've done the Gibbs interpretation of Gibbs as a good guy a couple of times. Um, I feel like I've stretched myself as thin as I can go on that. Um, <laughs> Dead air is a hard stop for a lot of people, for, for good reason. It, it's such a, I mean, they had, clearly they had, we talked about the big procedural issues at the end of season six. Um, but NCI, but Dead Air is such a, it's such a hardcore procedure breach. It's such a violation of, of the fundamental ethics of law enforcement that I, it, it just, it, it makes your brain stop. It, it, that's the classic failure of suspension of disbelief. Some of this other stuff, people can get, you can kind of suspend your disbelief around it a little bit. I couldn't actually ever suspend my disbelief around Tony being hauled off to Israel to account for killing for killing an assassin on U.S. soil. But, you know, whatever. But so you, you can, for a lot of people, they can get around that. But dead air for a lot of people was like, okay, my suspension of disbelief is just, it's been vaporized. <laughs> it no if, longer exists. If you would like to listen to the podcast we did about dead air it's called dead air variations and it's on my podcast channel um and we talked about all the various ways um we we invested ourselves <laughs> mm -hmm. and we could have done we could have done we probably could have done three podcasts on dead air variations <laughs> and not run out of material because there's so many ways i mean it went from like Tony getting shot to zombies eating Tim and Ziva. <laughs> we covered the spectrum. We we covered things where like Gibbs finds out. We had the SGC showing up and preventing anything bad from happening. I mean, you you go you go in it it 
That actually is probably a good episode because I don't think we did any. We talked about anything that couldn't be construed as a fix it. Um, no, no, we we fixed the hell out of that. I wouldn't ever do one. That's I, why we- I don't know. Go get in the corner. <laughs> yeah, there, there's some crossovers we don't plot. But we also have never plotted an NCIS Supernatural crossover. And it's not because there's anything wrong with Supernatural, except for the incest. Um, it's because the two shows don't mesh together. Right, so, let me clarify. There is no incest in the actual show. But there is a lot of incest in the fandom for Supernatural. Okay. Tons. Yeah. So we, but we've never done, the, it isn't, it has nothing to do. I actually find some of the characters and the themes and stuff about Supernatural to be very fascinating. I actually got a little bit bored with the show in season two. So um, that was just me. Okay. I got, it felt it started getting a little repetitive. But anyway, and the show did make some funny points about the incest thing. They kind of made a joke about it. It actually is an episode. I've seen all of the joke episodes. Um, the episode where they nuke microwave that fairy is hysterical but they do make a joke where they're doing this high school musical thing where the brothers are like in a, and they're like they do realize we're brothers right and I'm like well because <laughs> they're talking about you know people writing them as a romantic pairing and um and they just kind of they, like, they, they do realize we're brothers right <laughs> they really don't care um but yeah, actually, I, I don't know why, but that sound that fairy makes right before she blows up in the microwave, it just, <laughs> it's the dark humor, folks. I, I really have a dark sense of humor sometimes. And I, I, I watch that and I hit the 10 second back on the remote and watch it again and hit the 10 second back on the remote and watch it again and hit the 10 second. I mean, over and over and over again, I watch that fairy little circle around the microwave and go, <laughs> I don't know why I find that so funny, but I do. So there you go. That's the kind of that's the kind of thing that amuses me. Um, so, yeah, just... but that but but we didn't plot an episode. We didn't plot like a, a, a dead air variation where Dean Winchester saves Tony, or where Dean, Dean Winchester shows up, or we didn't plot that because those shows don't mesh. And so, and we wouldn't. And the same thing applies, more or less, for the thing that got Dean in the corner. <laughs> I'm not going to say it out loud, but you know, here's the thing you can, if you so choose, write an NCIS supernatural crossover. That's totally up to you. Um, for me personally, um, I find it very difficult to mix a paranormal fandom like that with, um, a competent law enforcement, um, fandom, because if you want your, um, you're, if, if you want Tony to look like an idiot, cross him over with Supernatural and let him know nothing about that world. Yeah. It doesn't I, make any sense. You could do it in an AU where Tony's not an NCIS agent or where he's in like some, maybe some Supernatural unit with the FBI or something. I mean, you could do it in a complete AU where things are different. But where he's in his canon circumstances and is, is unaware of the Supernatural world, it just, no. No, 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 yeah. So that's why there isn't a dead air variation. Um, well, Stargate is a big secret, so it's easy to mix a big secret 
with other fandoms. Like Harry Potter is a big secret. So when you have a big secret, it makes sense that your characters from other fandoms wouldn't know the big secret until they're told. Right. But Supernatural makes no point of a big secret. <laughs> it's more like it, Supernatural is like is Buffy. It's willful ignorance, not big secret. It's like people choose to not believe what they've seen as opposed to nobody knows about it. So there is no big conspiracy to keep it secret. People just choose to write off what they've experienced from the supernatural as not being real. And the government, instead of a government who experiences the supernatural over and over and over and over and over again, instead of setting up a reasonable task force to handle this kind of stuff, just sticks their head in the sand and tries to address, tries to arrest the Winchesters all the time. It's, it's not flattering. Okay. I get from from the from the, this is a point of view thing, right? From the Winchester's point of view, it's a great story. It's them against everybody, right? Law enforcement almost complete all completely com- incompetent. I'm just saying that's the implication. So, um, we did do a big secrets podcast, didn't we? We've done a, we've um, done a pretty sure we did do a a big secret podcast. I shall go. Hold on episodes wrong folder we did one called the big secret it's a trope drift it might have been one of our first trope drifts um october 2017 so it's either blog talk because my shows ran from 10 to midnight um and the time zone thing. So it could either be September 30th of 2017 or October 1st of 2017. But either way, it's called Trope Drift, The Big Secret. Yeah. It was our first or second Trope Drift was on The Big Secret. Um, we talked about Big Secret. I, I don't remember what all we talked about in that, but we did talk about fandoms with big secrets. So Supernatural and Buffy are not big secret fandoms. Um, they're not what I call consider big secret fandoms because people are killed willy-nilly by vampires in Buffy. But it's like, what do they call it? Canon Sunnydale Syndrome or something like that, where people just selective amnesia. It's like they couldn't, and it's like they couldn't deal with the reality of the supernatural world. So they chose to believe that what they had seen was someone in a mask or, you know, the police department and Buffy blaming it on gangs on PCP, or, you know, there were a suspicious number of barbecue fork related deaths in Sunnydale and the police didn't seem to notice or care how many people died by literally that's in Canon that people died by barbecue fork. <laughs> <sighs> Whatever. Um, and Supernatural to me is more like that, which it's like, it's there if you want to know about it. But whereas, whereas it's like Stargate is if you find out about it, you're going to wind up in a dark hole somewhere or in Harry Potter, you're going to get obliviated. So those are, those are what I call big secrets. So big secret you can put in with something like NCIS because you've got technology and magic preventing people from finding out about this. So there's no way that, it makes Tony look incompetent that he doesn't know that there's a Stargate or that he doesn't know that there's, you know, Hogwarts. <laughs> yeah. Number one cause of death in Sunnydale was like barbecue fork related incident. Right. And like, nobody ever questioned that. <laughs> I mean, they had death 
death statistics specifically for the high school, and there was no. Yeah, right. They had the town was, got destroyed or swallowed by a hellmouth, and there was no. They just called it a sinkhole. You know, I, like nobody, that just nobody questioned it. And there, and I think there was like this idea that there was like this influence of magic around the hellmouth that kept like scrutiny from coming to bear, but that doesn't hold up to scrutiny too well. I mean, it's great. It, it's entertaining from the teenager's point of view who are fighting demons all by themselves in the world with nobody to help them. But from the outside perspective, it makes like the military complex, the U.S. government, it makes everybody look both either negligent or incompetent. And neither is good. And it makes that one adult guy that knew, that knew everything um, a terrible, terrible, bad, no good influence. Giles. Um, Giles, Giles, yeah. Who probably needed to be arrested for um, grooming children into fighting demons? <laughs> yeah, well, the whole the whole presence of the initiative, which was a military sponsored thing to research demons, clearly parts of the government knew about demons and stuff, but they weren't doing anything; they just were being problems. Right, so uh, there was an element of big secret in the sense that the government knew about it and was trying to keep, to, but they weren't trying to do anything to cover it up. They were just moving into Sunnydale to do research on demons, unethical research on demons. And yes, the CIA did take that invisible girl away and give her a job, but so the the thing is, the government wasn't doing anything to to. I don't think I don't think of that as evidence of a big secret kind of thing. I see as evidence of the government exploiting the situation. That's all the evidence I ever saw. Was the government exploited the weird stuff that happened in Sunnydale, but didn't do a damn thing to stop it. Which is ugly. It's could a they have ugly stopped, world. Could they have stopped it? Prob they could have done something more. Then, and they had to know that, that Buffy was, that a bunch of teenagers, 16, 17 year olds, were the first line of defense between hell dimensions and the earth and they chose to let 15 16 17 year olds handle it really again this is one of those things it's great from buffy's point of view but once you step back you gotta go ooh, that's really ugly from anybody else's point of view it's also terribly irresponsible to leave the fate of basically the world in the hand of a bunch of children mm -hmm. who who are who have been indoctrinated into this um, idea that they have to do this alone. That they can't ask for help. They've, they've essentially been brainwashed. Basically. Basically. And and they're and especially I mean Buffy was considered to be an anomaly because she wasn't raised to be a slayer. She was called unexpectedly. Like they didn't they didn't, didn't have eyes on her when she was called up to be the Slayer. And um, as opposed to all those girls who the council was able, the potentials the council was able to identify and indoctrinate them from a young age. And then when you find the, find out about the mythology, um, uh, the mythology of how the Slayer even came into existence, it's, it's just, it's ugly. That this well, girl I don't know what it is, what is it? As I recall that they take this girl, it was sort of like in like like primitive time, right? They take this girl that I, I think the 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 pre the predecessors of the council and they basically they chained her and 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 
gave her demonic essence in a, in a fashion. They experimented on her using magical rituals to empower her so that she could fight these demonic battles for them, this young girl. And so when she dies, and so they create crafted these this this whole magic magical thing. It's to when she dies, and they usually die young. They usually die as teenagers. Um, yeah, it was demon essence inside of her that they did to her. When she dies, another young girl is called. Usually between what was it like thirteen and sixteen is when they're called up. And they usually and usually they try to identify who the potentials are and they get them and they raise them in in in, in council custody and teach them that this is what that this is their calling and this is what they're expected to do and they're supposed to do and one girl one girl is going is 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 responsible for protecting the world from demons and it's just it's 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 ugly the mythology of the buffy is actually yeah, the average day, age of death was 15. And, but, you know what? Can we just actually, at this point, stop saying that Joss Whedon writes strong female characters? Can we stop saying he's a champion for women? He's because, certainly fixated on something that's not healthy. Joss is a man. And Joss Whedon is absolutely 100% not a feminist. He's not a misogynist, but he is. He fetishizes women. Well, he he certainly fetishizes a certain type. And all asses. (laughs) Yeah, and he's... Yeah. He definitely fetishizes a certain, there's a certain element of the sort of damaged, uh, you know, super independent, um, going it alone, uh, can't trust I anybody. I actually watch Dollhouse because of the body autonomy issues. And and really, I mean, Buffy has got the same kind of issues in there, right? I mean, was it by the time Buffy was, what, 19, she was the oldest living slayer ever or something like that? In history. It was all because she hadn't been raised it was all because she'd grown up a normal girl was was the implication right she wasn't she wasn't raised under the thumb of the council and that was that was the that was the implication and giles was her watcher he was the council he was bought into the council thing he had participated now eventually he broke waves with the council because the council would have seen buffy dead basically and by then his loyalty was to buffy but his loyalty wasn't to being a good person let's be real about that his loyalty was never to being a good person. His loyalty was just to fostering this belief. And he continued to foster it, that they had to fight this battle alone. It's ugly. Yeah, the mytho- the stuff they did with the Slayers, I mean, the things, he- the things they put the girls through um, in order to produce this, quote, strong female character. Because, yes, Buffy, of course, Buffy was a badass. That's without question but the things that society put her through is not and then her her love interest her ultimate love interest was this like 200 plus year old vampire really that's what we're gonna do oh they love to put that vampire shit in there here's the thing what was that Firefly. Um, don't get me wrong. I loved Firefly. 
I thought it was great. But he did terrible shit to the female characters in the first season. Mm-hmm. Well, the whole show, the whole, I mean, the whole, I mean, I mean I in the movie too, should be legal. Yeah, I think sex sex work should be legal, um, and I think it should be um, a protected industry with a lot of regulations um, to keep sex workers safe, and it should be equal opportunity, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but what he did with Anera's character was not forward thinking. It was not. Um, about equality or about strength. It was pure fetishism. And the fact that he had her constantly called a whore. Said everything you need to know about what he really felt about that character. Um, it wasn't about. So yeah. He did terrible things in the first season. He did terrible things in the movie. Movie. I mean. But the per the, the, if you look at the kind of female character he usually writes. It was River all the way. Everything we find out about River in the movie is exactly the kind of sh- stuff that that's that's the way he writes it. The, the tortured that they become badasses because they're utterly tortured, right? And what what they did to River was just was was atrocious, profound, really ugly, ugly shit. Um, and you know, honestly, um. I was, I had had some ambiguous feelings about Joss Whedon for a very long time until Age of Ultron when he had Scarlett Johansson in that towel in that room with Bruce Banner telling him she was a monster because she couldn't have children. <sighs> I have never developed an instant hatred for someone so so fast in my life. I went from, oh, that maybe he's okay to, oh my God, you fucking cunt bastard. <laughs> Who makes a woman say that? Yeah, it doesn't. Well, and the two worst people in Age of Ultron were not, well, it wasn't Ultron. It was the two women in the movie. It was it was Scarlet Witch and and Black Widow. The two absolutely worst behaving people were the two women. <laughs> do we really need to do that? There are so few women anyway. Do we have to make the two who are going to behave the absolute worst be the women in the movie? Really? Is that really what's going to happen here? I mean, if they were going to do, I mean, I can understand the Scarlet Witch thing, okay? If they were going to go down that road with the Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, and he clearly wasn't so bad. She was the driving force behind that. So if you're going to have her behaving atrociously, they needed to not have Natasha betray Bruce. And somebody else needed to kick him off a ledge. (laughs) I'm just saying, all right? That was... You're right. Someone else needed to do it. It, But that was the point. That was the point for me. Age of Ultron really changed my perception about him too, for a lot of reasons. And I also started to question whether or not he can write. I was like, really? Was Firefly an anomaly? I don't understand this. I feel like I missed something. The Scarlett Johansson was pregnant during the filming of Winter Soldier. 
if given enough time, he would have made um situation much, much worse. And um just imagine how long that storyline with River would have been driven out, would have been dragged out if he hadn't had to do it in a movie. Which that's one? what that's um sort of serenity. Oh. Um because that's what would have happened. We would have had season after season after season a river's horrific backstory being revealed. Well, if that's the case, it's probably better that it ended when it did, when we all wanted more. I mean, it's one of those cases. It will it will live forever as the show that got that like the show we all wish hadn't gotten canceled. But if it had gone that way, that direction of just you know epic amounts of River's tragic backstory, I'd have gotten disgusted and one it, I'd have gotten through one more season of that and I'd have gone, nope, I'm done. Mm-mm. No more. Oh, the violence in the, in the movie was off the chart. I mean, it was just like... I didn't really... Personally, I didn't interpret the sex spot in any particularly... It, 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 to me, it didn't reflect much on him so much. I felt like that was more of a reflection of... Because I, I think that'd be kind of a realistic reflection of the way society would have gone. I mean, they say had sex spots in... Um, um, almost human. Although I do think it rang a little bit more true the way it was handled in Almost Human. But um, we have sex bots now. Yeah, true, true, true. Um, but, uh, that sex bot thing actually um, was pitiful. It it made the character who had the sex bot seem particularly. I don't remember what his name was. Um, particularly pitiful Mr. Wizard Mr. Universe Mr. Yeah, Wizard. Mr. Wizard Mr. Wizard and that they killed him well it said I felt like it did what it was supposed to do right it really set him up as a very pitiable figure um sad he was sad yeah he only the only the only connection he had was that sex bot so that it made she me was there comforting him when he died. Yeah. So I didn't see this X bot as being particularly. I saw that as like a realistic element. I really didn't see it as fetishizing. He reserved that for you know, um, the teenage girl he turned into a weapon and um, the whore. Yeah. The professional whore. Just oh, Ellie. <laughs> <sighs> but yeah, I agree that there there's been when I look back at some of his work as time has gone on, um I certainly had a different perspective, more so on River than I think even on than on um I just blanked on her name and you just said it. Anera. Anera, because um, River, all of a sudden, I was like, "Oh, it's it's Buffy, it's Dollhouse, it's, um, it's." I mean, honestly, he didn't set it, he didn't set the characterization for Natasha, but he didn't help it either. He sort of furthered it along into its awfulness. I mean, honestly, before he got a hold of her in the Avengers, she probably could have been better than she was. There were there were problems to overcome, but they were they were they were not insurmountable problems. 
the further the series went on, the worse it got. And that, but that wasn't just him when it came to Natasha because they also fucked her up. And he didn't write Winter Soldier, did he? I don't think so. Because if he did, then that puts all of the. No, it was somebody else. Um, so other people helped contribute, take Natasha down the the, the path that we wish she, they hadn't taken her down. But he definitely doubled down on it hard. And, and really went in a really ugly direction in Age of Ultron. Age of Ultron was just such... <sighs> there were so many ugly moments in that movie that it was hard to find something that wasn't hideous. I would say that most science fiction, and I am not in any way, single way defending Whedon, because I've already said I, I think he fetishizes women, but I think most science fiction writers stick sex bots in their stuff because um, it's super sci-fi and it's definitely something that um, that men do, that men would do. Men are doing it right now. I think it's realistic. Um, I mean... It's, a, it's just a realistic detail um, that there are a lot of men on this planet right now if given a choice between a... I love Cherry 2000. I fucking love that movie. It, I love it. I, 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 I'm not even ashamed either. Um, if given a choice between a real live woman and a real doll that would talk to them and clean their house and suck their dick, they'd pick the doll. And tell them how awesome they are. <laughs> I'm just saying. I honestly don't think sex bots are unrealistic at all. <laughs> but you, did you see about did you did you hear about the sex bot at the convention? That they are they actually have a real sex bot with a um with a personality um in a learning um computer and she's um they they had her on a convention floor. And they had to remove her from the floor because the, the the men at the convention molested her so much that they that that they broke her. She was so abused by convention goers that they had to remove her from the floor. Jesus. Yeah. So I mean, I, the the point is, is that there are it definitely sex bots. I mean, the, the no, more... it was a tech convention. It wasn't a comic con. It was a tech convention. Yeah. Electronics Festival. Um, so there's definitely a... Because we see it in real life. There's an element, a real element of realism that sex bots would be a big feature in, in a future. And so I understand that their presence in, in anything sci-fi pretty much. And I just don't think anything about it. Um, what they choose to do with who has them and that kind of thing, it can certainly say a lot to somebody's characterization and I just don't think I would think anything about it. But when it comes to Joss Whedon and the way he writes, I agree. It's the other women in the that are really the issue. Especially his typical thing is what he put River through. The tortured hero thing. And I guess in a way, Anara and uh, um, uh, Black Widow is sort of a she's sort of an amalgamation of River and Anara in a way. If you think about it. But he's made a career out of doing this to, to young women. You know. 
writing female characters like this and saying they're strong. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, there's no doubt that they're strong characters. These are, but putting somebody through torture shouldn't be the test for writing a strong character. And 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 you know, I think that he only needed to ride that that once. You know, one time would have been sufficient, and then try another approach to writing a good a good female character. Because most strong female characters actually aren't don't have very good characterization. They're usually flat as a pancake, which is why fan fiction often doesn't embrace them. Is because they're not written well. They're written to be strong. Which is just they're one rarely they're they're rarely diverse. Um, they um they they rarely um they're shallow. I remember really wanting to to really enjoy the movie Salt. I was super excited about it, but it fell short. And I was like, "What what is wrong with this?" Because I really like Angelina Jolie. I liked the the premise. Um, I was on board with all of it. And I was like, but this isn't working for me. Why isn't it's, it's kind of like when Haley Berry happened to Catwoman? Catwoman's sexy, Haley Berry's sexy, and yet when didn't work, it, it didn't work, right? So why didn't Salt work? I found out two weeks ago that Salt was actually written for a man. Hmm. I didn't watch Salt because it. I it. The reviews made me think I wasn't going to enjoy it, so I didn't. I didn't go to see I mean, it. It wasn't I, terrible, but it. But when I first heard about it, I thought it was going to be exceptional. And honestly, the only time I haven't been, the only time in recent history I, memory I could think of, and there probably is something else that somebody could remind me about what else there might be, um, that I remember going, "Oh yeah, it was um, Wonder Woman." I mean, I, it's just when I give an example of a, of a, you know, a, a woman centric story that I thought was done really well. I thought Wonder Woman was just exceptional. It's beautiful. But of course, you know, they had to kill her love interest because, you know. Yeah. What are they trying to prove? It's not a romance or something. It's not a romance, bitches. We're going to kill the love interest. Yeah, we get it. One of the most offensive things is um, that I saw about um, Wonder Woman um, is that her power up was um, having sex with a man, and they they were complaining about it. And I would say that Diana came into her own not because of Steve Trevor, um, well, at least not in the way you think. It wasn't about love and it wasn't about sex. It was about grief and anger. Because up until that point in her life, she had never really lost anyone until Steve Trevor came into her life. And then grief basically piled on top of her one thing after another until it broke free. So it wasn't about getting some dick. I guess I'd never read the dick theory. I miss I miss the dick theory. Which is why I think they could have left her, but it's why they could have they could have left her her love interest and it, I don't think it would have affected anything. I think they did that just because I don't know. 
but can't have her be happy? I don't know. I just... He was going to die before her anyway. But there were some prime fucking years that she missed out on. Yes. Just saying. With a maybe lovely he could have given her a baby. Yeah. Maybe. If she wanted one. And had time for it am amidst the fisticuffs. Which was my favorite line in the whole movie. When she's complaining about the clothes being too restrictive. <laughs> <laughs> and his assistant tells her that she occasionally gets involved in fisticuffs. I'm like, I love it. <laughs> so we had to wander away there a bit from our topic to show. Well, it's not a podcast if we don't wander away. Yeah, it's true. I think we explored, we explored, we explored a lot of ripples. We explored ripples that weren't even on topic. <laughs> we're all, we are all about the ripples. All about the ripples. I think it would have actually been really interesting if, um, if her father had brought Steve Trevor back to her. That would have been interesting. She did her duty. Um, she did what she was made to do. She fulfilled her purpose. I think he would have been. Um, it would have been very well received if, she, if he went here, sweetheart. <laughs> Here's your human. <laughs> I would have been mad. Try to keep him out of things that explode. <laughs> there's our there's our emotional support penguin. I don't know if all the gods are dead, but if you're um, if you're gonna write. It, you might as well go all in. Yeah. I mean, they they kind of imply the only god left was Ares, right? Um, but that doesn't mean that's actually what's happening. Right. Because, sure, shoot, and if they wanted a god in the next movie, they'd have one that somehow survived. So you might as well do it, too. Set the fat early. <laughs> do what you want. I don't like the idea that he's playing his own grandson. Here's the thing. Where did that grandson come from? Yeah. That's gross. So either he fucked around his wife or he was a complete and utter womanizer who stuck his dick in anything that would sit still for it and left behind a kid. That he didn't know about. Either way, I'm I'm the the characterization point on him having a grandson um, is ugly. I don't like it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it doesn't. Oh, so it's nope. That's just hmm. right. No, I just I don't like it. It just it doesn't. Nope, doesn't feel good. We vote no. It doesn't feel good at all. It 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 does feel gross. And I don't want to feel gross. Just saying. He's the Highlander Steve from the comics. That was the plot that kept that kept giving. Huh? Is that supposed to make sense? I thought Steve Trevor was basically being reincarnated in the um 
repeatedly. Oh, so it's a great nephew. Okay, that's that's better. As long as she doesn't bang him. Steve Rogers? What does Steve Rogers have to do with anything? Did I miss a comment? I looked down. Oh, Steve Rogers getting with Sharon Carter. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's deeply unfortunate. So ugly. <laughs> it is deeply unfortunate. <laughs> Wonder Woman can be the ICE agent. <laughs> I see we're moving into fusion territory now. That is a fight that Michael Rivkin could bring anything to and not come out on top. Yeah. <laughs> he can bring an Uzi to a Wonder Woman fight and still come out the loser. <laughs> you brought a gun to a fight with a demigod? Were you not planning? Were you not taking this seriously, Michael? <laughs> we came prepared. <laughs> it's nuke or nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I mostly I like the idea in NCIS of fixing canon in such a way that um that Tony gets treated with respect. That's the, that's what it boils down to. Yeah. Is that um, Gibbs has absolutely no respect whatsoever for Tony. That's really the way it winds up feeling, and there's just there's just no reason, just no reason for that to be that way. In as much that NCIS never let Abby grow up, they they never let Tony grow up either. But the thing is, they did at times. It was really weird, you know. Um, at times, Tony would be have these complete transplants of personality, and and then there were times when he was Tony. He was just, he was so all over the place. I think that's basically what the feeding frenzy is about. Um, giving um, Tony a, um, a place where he can thrive and be respected. And to also give him a, give him a soft landing. Yeah. Personally. He needs people he can count on. He has people who can he can rely on, and I I think that that yeah. <laughs> Ellie says we all want to know who's going to get the D. Um... Hmm. The feeding frenzy is finished, except for me. I'm the anchor, um, but I'm also participating in rough trade. So she's busy. <laughs> I'm a little busy. But I do have, um, was it 20K or was it 10K? You have 10. Yeah. She decided what she was going to, you decide what you're going to do, right? Yeah. I have my plot. I have my plot. I've plotted, um, my, um, I have my plot. Uh, there's, there's stuff. And deciding how that was going to go down was most of the battle. Right, right, yeah, because 
Um, I have to say that the other people participating in the feeding frenzy uh, brought their A game. So I had um, I had some choices to make, and uh, so yeah, and I made some choices. She did. She made choices. Chris, interesting. She made interesting choices. There, I'm going to be a terrible piece. <laughs> But I made lots of choices, like um, like where he was going to land as far, you know, professionally, um, where he was going to land personally, and um, how that was going to work. And um, you you love you love the fire I walk on. What you talking about? <laughs> you know you love it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. So it. It boiled down really in the end to um, to creating a place um, of value for my character, uh, and that's I think I always try to give my character circumstances that they value that that they will invest themselves in, both professionally and personally. And whenever you're doing a fix it for a character who's had bad circumstances, I think, you know, making sure that they are set up to succeed. Um, and so you have to be careful about when you're choosing, you know, what path you're going to go down and something like that, whether it's the feeding frenzy or you're doing a fix it, which the feeding frenzy in its way, it's kind of a conceptually cracky fix it, but you know, um, is is what is going to enable your character to you can't be too contradictory to what the character needs versus where you set them. Um, if you set your character that's really damaged and they're really hurt by something that has happened, um, putting them into like a confrontational situation or where they're not going to get the like emotional support they need or the time to heal even um, can then make your fix kind of, not not really resonate as being an actual fix. It's like it well, but he, real, right? It's like I see, but is he going to be able to 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 heal? Is he going to get better? Is he going to be okay? Because you know people really pick up on that nuance. It's like wow, I really hope he has a. And that's when you start to see comments like I really hope he gets the help he needs, and and I really hope he has the time to work through his issues or whatever. And and that's probably because um, I I think you tend to see those kinds of kind of comments emerge when when the reader is not feeling like the character's gotten the emotional support or the emotional resolution that they need um, based upon the circumstances you gave them. Because I'm telling you, you guys, some of you are really, really good at giving your characters really difficult circumstances. I mean, you excel at it. <laughs> I mean, bonus points for creativity. Um, so, but you gotta, you gotta heal them too. You gotta give them, <laughs> you gotta let them, let, let them be well. <laughs> The midnight orgy. Yes, yes, yes. No. Yes. Yes. No. No. Yes. <laughs> Best scene ever. <laughs> but um but you know, also you have to balance um character needs versus character wants. And in order to balance those needs and wants, you need to know what your character wants. Yeah, that, that too. Yeah. Um, which is where your character profile comes into play. Um, and so as I've been reading the feeding frenzy, 
I've been kind of building Tony's character profile in my head so that by the time we got to the end of it, I, I knew what he wanted, but I also knew what he needed. Um, and sometimes they can be contrary. So you got to find that balance between need and want um, so that you, so that you get happy. Yeah, and I think I honestly, it's the NCIS is a, is a, like a, really a perfect example of a fandom where a lot of times, if you look at Tony's canon wants, they don't really mesh well with what he probably needed, and um, I think that's something that whether authors are intending to or not, that's something that they wind up exploring quite a lot is giving Tony what he really needs, right? And you see that kind of um, imbalance, and it, he's not the only character where you see that kind of thing, right? Where they're getting, you know, because in the show, they make it out like the only thing Tony wants in life is to be part of Team Gibbs. But that's, that could be, and that comes, in a way, that comes across as very unhealthy. Not in a way. It comes across as very unhealthy because... And they actually ultimately, even though they didn't make any issue of it at all in canon up until it was time for Michael Weather to leave, all of a sudden that became a, a source of dysfunction. And when they, because, you know, they had him becoming, they had this whole season um, where Gibbs was treating him badly and Tony's becoming dissatisfied with his life and realizing he doesn't have anything but Gibbs and um, that his life was pathetic. I mean, there were just like episode after episode of how pathetic his life was. It was really. Like, Mike, it's been this way. I feel like he's been this way for like a decade, folks. And now it's an issue. And they solved it with a secret baby. Yeah. It's, it's but what I would say about Tony um, is that Tony deeply, deeply wants paternal approval. True. And genuine affection. But he's never going to get that. And I think part of his growth as a, a human being would be to recognize that pathological desire in himself and remove it from the field. I like that. A moment of I like I like a moment of self-awareness becoming impactful for him. I like that a lot. And there are some situations in the feeding frenzy that he would have picked mostly to seek out, to continue to seek out that paternal approval and affection. So immediately those situations were like, no, he might want that, but he doesn't need that. He doesn't need that. He doesn't need that because they were, there were situations where he would be able to cultivate an older male figure to give him the paternal affection that he didn't get from his own father. So when you look at it like that, when you find out, when you, when you get the core of your character and you open that up and you look at their wants versus their needs versus a healthy psychological space um, versus dysfunction that he's coming out of, um, it, you make some decisions. And that's why I made some decisions. She made some choices. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, he doesn't have an American Express black. He's fine. He'll be okay. That American Express black is going to seem like a, a non sequitur to anybody listening to the podcast, but you'll understand it when you read The Feeding Frenzy. <laughs> we are just no good, terrible, thick teases, aren't we? But it will be coming out. It is, I think, I don't know, I don't know how far you are in the beta. I haven't been paying attention to that part. But, um, I mean, we're the, we're, the beta we're is very, all, we're, we're, like two, we're very close. Two thirds through beta. So, if not more. So, by the time you, you, you finish, um, I've, I've been super busy and haven't had time to even get in beta my last part. Um, so, yeah. It's a thing. But, but even yeah. if my story was finished today, Feeding Frenzy would still not be coming out because the rest of it's still on beta. <laughs> That's true. That's exactly right. But I mean, by the time I think by the time Rough Trade's over, we'll be we'll be caught up so that you know when you're when you're ready, um, we'll be there. A holder hates you for something. Why does she hate you? Uh, I'm teasing her. Apparently, yeah. You're not thick teasing her. You're plot teasing her. You haven't written it yet, right? It's not even a. It's not even a fic yet. It's a plot of which I have hundreds. It's what I do. A plot. 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 Okay, Michael Rifkin being um, Elf was all about getting us on topic. Of course, we're 43 minutes past our, our two-hour mark. Um, well, maybe like 35, because we started late. But uh, So we'll go a few more minutes. Um, By the time you take out our thought, I be, I'm guessing we have about 20 minutes of thoughtful silences so far. Um, uh, yeah, somewhere in that area, I would say so too. Um so we've got him being arrested at the apartment, which is would be can your canon divergence would be whatever led to um, him getting arrested at the apartment. We've got him being arrested trying to kill the ice agent, being arrested by the ice agent, being arrested. Um, you'd have him arrested in L.A. We didn't explore that much. We did mention it earlier. Um, oh, here's an idea. Um, in, I, it's somewhere in the legend arc, I think, is when Tony um, tracks down Rifkin at that cafe. Ellie, you seem to remember this better than I do, so if you could correct me if I'm wrong here. What if Rifkin attacked Tony at that cafe when Tony told him to get the hell out of town and Rifkin got himself arrested then? And maybe he, and this isn't strictly on point. This isn't strictly on. This isn't strictly on brand here for this for this podcast. But what if he got arrested by like the p- local police or something, and then Homeland picked him up? What if the FBI and Homeland were really pissed off about Gibbs and his dumbass shit, and? Tony encounters Rifkin at that in a cafe in Washington. What if the FBI decided, you know what? We're gonna follow Denozo. Oh. That's interesting. Or what if Tom Morrow says, Hey, I want you to follow Denozo and see what he does to one of his agents? 
because they're not going to get frozen out again. It they could start be Mike. Surveilling. It could be Mike Bannon. I mean, if, if, <laughs> if Tom, if Tom's the director of Homeland, ultimately, Banning works for him. Ultimately, he could ask me the favor. I know it's your week off. I know it's your, know it's your weekend off. I know you're not on call, but could you do me a little favor just this weekend? Could you follow this guy? <laughs> Well, I'm not mad, sir. <laughs> and Mike's like, "Ooh, he's cute. That, that's all kinds of pretty." I, he, he, is he? He's not in trouble, is he? Because can I can I ask him out after this is over? I get done following him around. <laughs> can we consider the following around foreplay? <laughs> is stalking a form of foreplay? I don't think so. I think that's actually illegal. <laughs> It depends on who it is and how they do it. Yeah. That was terrible. I'm sorry. Not really. Um, and, and, and Tony could Tony could say stalking is not foreplay. Michael said, I'm not stalking you. I was surveilling I you. You under orders. He could say he could say they could say, well, stalking might not be, but surveillance is. <laughs> <laughs> I was surveilling you, Agent Denozo. I was not stalking you. Yeah, there they are in the cafe. What is with you? Ellie, what is with you in the screenshots? I mean, you're like, you're like screenshot ninja. On um, point. Um, but so, yeah. So what if, what if Tony sits down at this table with Rivkin and asks, what the fuck are you still doing here? You were supposed to leave. Um, and he's being followed by Homeland Security. And they see this Mossad agent sitting there. And they think to themselves, well, let's just grab this guy for a conversation. And they arrest him. And everything goes to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> and it would, too. Because you know he's not going to tolerate getting arrested. No, no, he's not. Because he's already psychotic. I mean, he's on the brink. So it wouldn't take much to push him over. And getting arrested by um, Homeland Security would do it. Oh, yeah. He's a total nut bar. I mean, yeah, he's been self-medicating for a year because he has to fuck Ziva, so I mean... <laughs> we are so terrible. See, somebody broke me when we talked about the reclaiming... When we talked about reclaiming um, the Marvel character, they said, would you would you do a um, like reclaiming Ziva thing? And I've said, no. No, 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 no. I mean, no, I was no. like, no. I never... The thing is, I saw potential in Black Widow, right? I saw potential in... I, I would not do a redeeming black uh, redeeming ziva because i never saw potential in her and i would not do a redeeming of scarlet a scarlet witch because i didn't see never saw from the beginning i didn't see potential in her so well, scarlet witch is a mind rapist from the right. get-go when we I mean, she's like boom right there she she's all in on that and ziva got onto the team by having kate murdered so, so she came into the situation a fucked up cow so that's why I mean, it, it, when it comes to taking back a character, I would take back characters that, that I saw potential that got ruined, like Captain America, like um, Black Widow, like Barton, or like really almost anybody in the MCU except for Scarlet Witch. Um, but it's because they start somewhere where you're intrigued by them, and then they got ruined it. But if if there's no intrigue, if they they don't start anywhere good, why would I want to take them back? Take them back for what? 
I might as well just write an OC. I wrote, I wrote a Harry Potter fic recently where I hardly bashed a Weasley. Oh. Had you hit your head? <laughs> just trying something different. I mean, Ron has a moment, but I think it's a realistic moment. It's it's um not as uh ugly in reality as it is on first blush on appearance. Because um, he's a jealous little git, and he always has been, right? So there's a thing, um, but it's not the thing that they think it is. And so it's a thing, but it it's not as bad as it could have been. So it's not... I think it's true to his character um, and because he talks a lot and doesn't think he should have to pay for the, um, for the shit that he says. And he says shit he doesn't really believe because he's he's thoughtless. So, um, but yeah, that's going to come out in um, in the end of July. And that was a fic tease, but not to Lady Holder because Lady Holder's already read it. <laughs> so there. <laughs> Say T if there's a guy to your Hess. That may be the most inscrutable thing I've seen today. What? Say T if there's a guy to your Hess. Hess of. <laughs> Gun to your head. Oh. Oh. <laughs> okay. That. that... <laughs> I can be really no, literal. That, that. that wasn't a call for help. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, say T if there's a guy to your Hessif. I was like, I can be pretty <laughs> I can be pretty literal if there is at times I'm like not see the obvious thing in a typo, but girl, I totally missed that. Say, say T if there's a gun to your head. <sighs> I don't know that I would have ever had a chance of deciphering that. So, <laughs> well, then you need a nap, she baby. She spelled head H E S S F. So I, she needs a nap. I, I can see, I can see how she did it. Yeah, 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 keyboard. yeah. Yeah, I can see how she did it. That's hilarious, though. <laughs> Somebody should definitely put guns to ass. All the hesses. All the Hesses need to need to go, need to get the fuck out. But um, no, I did a thing for a thing. It's gonna start. It should start July thirty first, and then I will be posting um a sixty k novel. When you put when you post it on when you do your post on Facebook and Mewe, please hashtag it a thing for a thing because <laughs> I did a thing for a thing. <laughs> I did a thing for a thing. Yeah. Yes, thank you in advance. I will read it someday. <laughs> <laughs> She's still off the Harry Potter fandom. Totally, totally. But it that is next up. The next time I'm in the mood for something Harry Potter, that is, that is, that is. Go I'm going all in on that one. I find because I I do know I do know what the story is, and I'm intrigued by the premise of it. Um, but yeah. I, I, whatever Harry Potter recovery I had, I totally blew out in the Quantum Bang stories I read. And it wasn't that they burned me out. That wasn't it at all. I, I enjoyed the Harry Potter stories I read in the Quantum Bang. I just wasn't quite ready to come back into that fandom yet. 
So I was like, well, that did it. I'm, I'm, I wasn't as ready as I thought I was. Yeah. Sometimes you think you're ready to step out there and you're just, you're not. <laughs> Quantum Bang is up on quantumbang.org. Lady Holder, all the stories are over there. So go I read, them. yeah, I read, I don't have any idea what she's talking about. Um, I think whatever Margaret um, has been I smoking, Lady Holder got some of it. <laughs> I didn't write a Harry Potter story. Well, you've written two. I've written three, but that's <laughs> not the point. You are. You are precariously close geographically. Oh, did I say writing? Yeah, I meant reading. I... No, no, no. I didn't get burned out. No. I was already burned out on Harry Potter. Totally burned out yeah, on the fandom. She, she, before. Had a, she had a terrible, no good, bad experience. And this is what I would say about that. Is um, when a writer tells you they don't read something, um, take it seriously. Because um, what you can do when you wreck them something and they trust you with it is you can ruin something for them. So when I tell you I don't read Harry Snape, don't fucking wreck me that shit. And don't hide it either. Don't, like, sneak creepy pedophilia fic into a recommendation for me. Which is what happened to me. So, because somebody did wreck something and it had an undisclosed pairing in it. And it, it wasn't, you know, full on pedophilia, but the pairing it was, was pedophilia at the very least, right? Hermione was pretty young. Yeah, I, I want to say uh, by, the time, by the time I realized what was going on, I was like, wait a minute, whoa! She's like, I think I want to say she was fourteen or fifteen. Um, but it, it was it was more than her age. It was that she was with Lucius Malfoy, and I just, mm. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly, Queenie. Exactly. Mm -hmm. it, it's just, it's such a... That's just. A, I didn't think there was an uglier pairing, honestly. <laughs> I, I don't think there could be could be an uglier pairing than that one. You know? So... Um, Even if she was an adult, um, Hermione Granger being with a Death Eater, an unrepentant Death Eater, is disgusting. It is. It just, it horrifies me. So, um, we don't need a vomiting emoji. I'm already feeling a little queasy. So, and the vomiting emoji is particularly <laughs> graphic. Uh, so yeah. let's not, let's not. Yeah. Um, um, so, but what happened is I just, I felt, and I've had this, it, it, it wasn't like it was one time that tripped the trip, my trigger. Right. It was that, I've had this over and over and over again in the Harry Potter fandom where people send me wrecks to stories that have stuff that's horrifying in it and stuff. I explicitly said, I don't read um, or pairings. I say, I don't read or whatever. And it's like, there's so much assholery and there's also a lot of wonderful things too, but there's so much assholery uh, with people. And I just, I hit this moment where I'm like, I'm so fed up with this fandom. And I was like, I didn't want to read any Harry Potter. I didn't want to want to read my own Harry Potter. I didn't want to work on it. I just was like, I mean, if 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 Kara set a Harry Potter challenge again, 
I wouldn't participate for rough trade. It'd be like my first one I wouldn't sign up for. And that's just where I'm at. And I thought, you know, when, when I was like quantum bang rolled around and some of us, we had so many Harry Potter stories and so many of them sounded really good that I thought, well, maybe it's, it's been a while now. It's been many, several months. I'm going to go ahead and try. And I, I really enjoyed the stories I read. Um, but I just, when I was done with, I think, I think I got through two. When I was done with the second one, I just went, hmm, I'm not feeling good. I, I'm going to go, <laughs> I'd rather go read Gibbs Tony. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> wow. She was in a bad place. Um, but you know, I got put off writing Slash for a whole year because of something somebody put in my chat room. Oh, that was atrocious. I have not still gotten over that. I still think about it sometimes. And, uh, uh, I mean, I didn't, uh, I didn't, I didn't see it, but I've seen things. I, I know the, what it was. And it was, somebody described it to me and I, I've seen things like that. So yeah, it's, it's like, no. Um, I mean, I literally could not write anal sex for a year. Uh, because no, when you, I when it when it happened, I threw up. Yeah, it was it was it, it made me physically ill for like an hour afterwards. And even though I banned her from my chat room, I still have not forgiven her. <laughs> Cause yeah. she damn near came precariously close to ruining my OTP for me. And what the fuck? Anyway. Yeah, literally, Queenie. <laughs> um I've had that I've had that happen. Um Jessamine with the whole um actually no that's not your name but that's what your username is that you're getting called uh, is this I mean I, I'm, I'm, ha I'm having a flash to why well, this is just a site to um code black I see the Jessamine books I'm, I start thinking about code black so if that's not where that came from you know sorry my apologies <laughs> but um <laughs> I've had several stories where people recommend them to me and people don't tag for infidelity. And if one of the characters I really like is guilty of infidelity, I'm just, I'm like, whoa, dude. No, I, there's a, there's a story. The end game story was Tony Gibbs. Tony was in a really good, nice relationship with another person. And he cheated on this person with Gibbs. Oh, and he didn't, I was no. just like, I, I stopped. I hard stopped. And it wasn't tagged for infidelity. And I hard stopped. And I just was like, I'm not accepting. And, and somebody asked me, I know who you were. Um, oh, right click on your username. Um, you'll, you'll see change nickname. I can do it for you. But yeah, we did. I did figure it out because um, I that picture is very familiar i've seen i've seen i've seen your pretty face on facebook yeah no we knew i knew who it was but um anyway so i uh and i the person asked me what i thought of the story i said i didn't finish it once i got to the infidelity and i said oh i didn't know if that would be a problem i was like now you know asshole no. <laughs> <laughs> if tony's partner had cheated on him and tony left his partner over it that wouldn't be a problem Tony being guilty of infidelity? No, that is a problem. It's so... If there is anything less attractive, not necessarily illegal, than, some, than a cheater, I'm not sure what it would be. 
And there's a whole host of illegal things people can do that's really disgustingly unattractive. But cheating is gross. When, when, it, when a couple are, are, has an, a, an arrangement around sexual partners outside of the relationship, if it's agreed upon, that's not infidelity. Infidelity is what you do behind your partner's back, right? So, I mean, I, that's what people do in the, in the, you know, and I, I've, I've known many a person with an open relationship. Um, so I knew a dude once that used to tell everybody he had an open relationship. He told everybody, but his wife, he had an open relationship. <laughs> well, true. I mean, this is one of those things you confirm, right? Right, right. I mean, usually when I know, when I say I know people have open relationship, I know the couple, like both of them. And usually, usually, it also, usually at least at times involves a third person in with both of them. But, you know, open relationships, if it's truly open, the the spouse who is not about to jump into bed with you should be willing to talk to you and say, yeah, 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 we're good with this. These are our boundaries, you know. So like one of the couples I knew that did this kind of thing, it's like, it was like, you know, not in their house, you know they could each bang people when they would go to events or, you know, parties or they, you know, in the dungeon, you know, they each had other play partners, but they didn't bring other people to their house. That was their, that was the rule. And they didn't, they didn't stay out overnight. So, but whatever they did outside of that, um, you know, whatever they did at the dungeon was, was fair game. They just, there were rules around what was acceptable behavior. So, and as long as people are honoring the spirit of, of their relationship boundaries, um, it's not whatever they do, you know, it's not infidelity, but if their relationship boundaries include monogamy and most relationships do, that's the typical model, right? If their relationship boundaries include monogamy, then it's cheating to, to, to fuck somebody else. I've only read one Clark Lex story and it was I hero where Lex turns into a superhero against his will. Is it good? It's amusing. I don't know. Um, I mean, it's the only thing I've ever read in the fandom, so I can't compare it to anything in particular. If you would, you know, like a reference, I don't. Um, but it's 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 very amusing. I don't I've actually only... read in the fandom, so it was the only one I ever read, and it, it it was amusing. And Clark, you know, Lex just really isn't. And then he's I've, like a superhero. I've... I've only read two stories in the fan in Smallville and both of them are crossovers. So um, I, I'm certainly not any kind of have no metric there for. Right. So I don't, I don't have a metric, but it's just, it was cute. It was amusing. Cause, cause Lex didn't want to be, there's Willow giving us a, um, uh, <laughs> Thank you, Fick Ninja. It's I Hero by I I B and F. <laughs> I really appreciate that. That makes me laugh. But yeah, it's it's really cute and fun. And um and Lex just does not he's not on board with this, but he doesn't really he's stuck with it. <laughs> this is that was his lot in life. <laughs> this is what he's gonna do. I'm putting the link in the podcast before I forget. I should just give um, Willow right access to this channel so that so she you can, totally should. She just do her own shit over there. She can um, just 
thick, nin- would, thick ninja it up. I would say that um, every fandom has pockets of terrible, whether it be incest fic or pedophilia or just extremely bad writing. And I can't believe I just lumped bad writing in with incest and pedophilia. <laughs> every fandom has bad writing and poor taste. <laughs> <laughs> and questionable decision making. <laughs> That's <laughs> I think you need a nap. Do we need to put you in the timeout? Do we need to put you in the corner? <laughs> She's lost it, folks. She's utterly lost it. <laughs> I just, you know, <laughs> although I'm going to assume. Um, and take this to my grave or my urn since I don't want to be buried that all incest fic is bad fic <laughs> we're going to assume that <laughs> you should hear me sneeze as what was I was talking something about something about incest the other day, and they were talking about that I think it was at least at the time not illegal for a woman for a woman to to marry her grandfather or something like that, and I went because nobody thought that they would do it. That's why we didn't. You know, there's nobody said nobody said no. You can't do it because it never occurred to anybody that they would try. Um, I'm just saying. You know, there's some things that some things become rules or laws or whatever because some idiot did it. That's why we real like people are willing to cross that line. So then we go, okay, yeah, we should probably say that's not all right. So when this girl accidentally married her grandfather, which she found she didn't know it was her grandfather when she married married him, but she when she found oh. out that was her. I don't remember, but she found they found out that he was her grandfather through some thing and um (laughs) that's terrible terrible joke (laughs) the joke was that was the law grandfathered in um anyway so i was like isn't that illegal can you marry apparently at least where she lived it was not illegal to marry your grandfather but it's like the law and, and the and the only thing I can see of this, the reason why the law wasn't on the books is because nobody figured it was going to be an issue. I mean, if they had known, if they had known that it might come up, they'd go, for sure, you can't marry your grandparents. That's gross. <laughs> yeah, this was in the United States. It was somewhere on the East Coast. But there, yeah, there is a town. I want to say it's in Greenland. I think it is Greenland, but it might be Iceland, where they are so... Um, the, the DNA is the, there needs to be a little bit more forking in the in, in the tree. <laughs> Let's the put it that way. A little narrow. Yeah. Um, you can actually uh, genetically, you're distant enough to marry a first cousin. Um, and of course, the second and the third cousin would be okay genetically as well. You you wouldn't like the, the chances of you having a child that's not quite right is very 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 slim um but it's not recommended for genetic diversity need genetic diversity um so like things become rules 
because people do stupid shit. Um, it's sort of like, you know, there's that whole Jeff Foxworthy thing where he was talking on that one of his comedy skits way back when about how the rule about, you know, after your wife's water breaks, don't have sex. And he's like, who does that? And the thing is, he says it wouldn't be a rule if somebody hadn't done it. Right. Right. So they have to advise you because there are idiots out there having sex after their wife's water breaks um, that they shouldn't do that. But they wouldn't have to tell you if it hadn't come up. That is one of those things in life that you know for sure that would not that bit of wisdom would not be imparted to people if it hadn't come up. That's also the same skit where he talks about blow drying your hair in the in the shower. <laughs> Inadvisable life practices, because there because if you look at your hair dryer on the thing, it it on the little cord wrapped sticker thing, it tells you not to blow dry your hair in the shower. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Or asleep, yeah. Well, or or while or asleep. While asleep, yeah. <laughs> well, if somebody did it, you know. Here's your sign. Different comedian. Same joke. <laughs> well, I saw this. Um, uh, there's this jet ski. This is picture of this warning label on this jet ski, and it basically said that you needed to wear appropriate clothing on the jet ski because high velocity water can enter the vagina or the rectum, right? Well, somehow they found that out, <laughs> right? And so you're not supposed to just climb on these jet skis in just like a bikini or you're going to get some high velocity water shooting up your hoo-ha. <laughs> Nobody needs that. <laughs> But I'm sitting there thinking, who's out test driving this jet ski? How, how did that come up? And went, oh my goodness. And so they had to put a big warning label on it, right? Um, the thing Not is, that did happen douching. to somebody. Did, <laughs> somebody did. That did happen to somebody, right? Somebody's out using this jet ski. And they got <laughs> a douche root enema from hell. <laughs> the manufacturer had to send out a bunch of warning labels. About slap on these jet skis because, well, people better be sure to wear pants. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like that the enema <laughs> is a bigger issue than the douching. I wouldn't want, honestly, I wouldn't want lake or seawater in my vagina. I'm just saying. But especially lake water. Yeah, but think about the situation that happens with an enema. Um, it has to come out. I, I hear you. I hear you. Um, I, I totally hear you, but I don't know. I, I'm thinking about the future future health of my vaginal flora. <laughs> it's not supposed to have lake water in it. You know, that particular avoids pouring on crouch area. That's actually really terrible. That's a really terrible story. Um, their coffee was three times hotter than it was legally allowed to be. And when it ended up in her lap, she had to have part of her labia removed. And the press made a joke out of it. Yeah, like, oh, it's hot, hot coffee. What do you think? What do you think is going to happen? Uh -huh. Except it was like fucking lava. 
Yeah. She had to have grafts and stuff done. She's permanently scarred. It doesn't matter that she was in her 80s. I mean, it was terrible. And it, so, yeah, that one, you know, they actually had to pass regulations about how hot coffee machines could get because of that case. Because they literally basically poured lava in her lap. Because the lid wasn't secure. But even if the lid had, had been secure. Taking a sip of that could have startled her into dropping it. Because it's too hot. Well, she'd have got third degree burns down her throat instead. And her mouth and lips and tongue. I mean, it would. So either way, she was going to be horrifically injured in that situation. Because someone had turned that coffee pot up too high. Three times too high. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah don't let your dog drink and drive dart or take pills and drive as it as it may be okay i think that um we probably exhausted the topic sometime in the first hour so <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna call it a night um i hope you guys have a fantastic friday Tomorrow is grocery shopping day for me, so I'm sure to have a story to tell during the next podcast. And we're going to be all aboard, all aboard the Olympus ship, all aboard it. Yes, we are. Whichever Olympus ship you happen to be talking about, we're aboard. <laughs> all aboard the USS Olympus. Say goodnight, Jilly. Good night, everyone. <laughs>